This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Monday morning to you post-Super Bowl hangover. I'm telling you, just ate way too many of those little uh, Smokies. You like the Smokies and the wings. I like the Smokies and the wings and the little pizzas. Oh, we even had little Hot Pockets. Oh, man. Baby Hot Pockets. Triangles. Hmm. Hot Triangles. They're really good. Hey, welcome to the show. Holy cow. Did the Patriots pull it out at the last minute? Unbelievably depressing. Why is that depressing? Because I didn't want the Patriots. I didn't care. Who won? I just wanted to see the commissioner of the NFL have to stand there and get booed by the entire stadium. <laughs> that, that was, was incredible. Awesome. That was like, you think the they'd boo for, the I mean, they'd be booing for like a minute, right? But that just kept going. Well, he had to going. leave. He just walked yeah. out of the place. There's no way they could, could have continued that if he just stood there. Unbelievable. That was the best Super Bowl game I've ever seen. You know, when they went into triple overtime and Tim Tebow threw that game-winning hold it, uh, hold touchdown it, hold it, hold to, to win against the Seahawks. What, what were you watching? The the game last night, triple overtime. Tim no. Tebow, Seahawks. No, no. nothing. None there. of that happened. No, maybe that was the Puppy Bowl. Were you watching the Puppy Bowl? I I was watching the game last night. Nope. Yeah. Nope. You were probably on tape delay from 2014 or something. <laughs> Even hmm. though Tim Tebow, I don't think no. threw anything in Just a never in that game Super Bowl. And then Steve Young uh, did a a, a, a three point uh, punt. Or a field goal. Okay. So just stick to the movies, Jeff. Yeah. Just stick to the movies. You know, that's always, we've always said, just stick to the movies. What a Super Bowl. Oh, depressing. It was depressing. What was depressing about it? Just because the they had it. The Falcons had it. They had can't, can't it. Can't you just focus on the fact that they came from 25 points down? No. They made that amazing catch. Which one? The one that bounced off like oh, the Atlanta's was leg unbelievable. and he yeah. was able to figure out how to mm-hmm. catch that thing? Yeah, no. No? And what do you think of Lady Gaga? What about her? That was quite Wearing that, boring. you know, that girdle and then jumping off well, the top was... of the building? Who does that? Yeah. Lady Gaga. My wife's like, why is she wearing shoulder pads like underneath the original costume? Yeah, and I we... go, well, she goes, look, it looks like her. she's wearing like pads. Like she's wearing a, yeah. a, 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 a woman's business coat from the 80s yeah. or something. I go, oh, she's got football pads underneath. And she well, goes, she was suited up in case she then, needed to go she, in. She, then she jump did, off the building. Then she did the wardrobe change and she was in football pads. And I go, see, I told you. And see? she's like, oh. See? And then I went back to what I was doing because who cares? Like whatever Half-time you think shows. about her singing, there's just this moment where you think, what what star would jump off the top of a building? Right. Well, she, she wanted did... to be up there because Michael Jackson, when he did his yeah. at the Rose Bowl, he was on. Well, they had a double up on top of the the rim of the, the of the stadium. So she wanted to top that. She wanted. Oh, in. she topped that and uh, drones. Yeah, they had coordinated. They had mm. to get FAA approval. I thought we were going to have drones. drones near these stadiums. Well, they had a mo- someone flew one over the Atlanta Falcons uh, practice. Oh, really? Fields on Saturday, I believe the report I read. Three hundred drones, little baby drones. Were they yeah. at least delivering concessions to no, the? They oh. were just they were just mm. flashing. That's too bad. They created a picture and a sign and a flag. I think they said Tim Tim Tebow. 
something Tim Tebow. You know, I the one play I didn't appreciate was when uh, the ref made that bad call and uh, and Terry Bradshaw was taken out. I didn't like that one at all. He was taken out of like the, the game. commentator's booth. No, the game. He was taken out of the game. Oh boy, yeah, he's really behind. But but Tim or Terry Bradshaw had a great commercial about a spot on his shirt. It was okay. For some reason, he ends up in the commercial uh, with his shirt and his pants in the washing machine, even though it was just his shirt sure. that had the yeah. problem. But that's yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, Continuity in the commercial. Yeah, you, to, you don't need to take everything off, Terry. Um, we'll, we'll get to all that fun. Some more Super Bowl talk coming up. Plus, were the, were the commercials as great no. as they're – They know. never are. Every year, to me too, people don't yeah. like them, so whatever. And just watch them like the next day. Some a lot of them were talking about immigration. or before the game starts. Yeah, most of them get posted. A lot of them were played before the well, game. Well, when you're started. paying five million dollars, you right. want to get it seen as much as possible. And you know, Donald Trump, you know, had an interview, made yes, a little news. We'll get to that. Plus, uh, Sean Spicer, the speaker for the um, the president, he's not immune from Saturday Night Live no. attacks. He did say it was funny though. Did he? It yeah. is. I think it's the funniest thing Good that's come him. out of Saturday Night Live. He Even said it was funnier funny. than Trump. He says the the actress portraying Melissa him was McCarthy. A, a little too in, much energy, too much gum. No, but I know, but it was. <laughs> and then he went off on Alec Baldwin and saying that he's being mean. Okay. So whatever. We'll play a little bit of the Sean Spicer, Melissa McCarthy. Most of it's visual, so it was it's a hard hilarious. time trying to yeah. something that we could really encapsulate what they were trying to say. But we, I think I got a good piece of it. Good. <laughs> good. We'll get to all that fun. Plus, we'll be talking politics with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The U.S. Justice Department request to immediately reinstate President Donald Trump's travel and immigration ban was denied early Sunday. The emergency stay came after a federal judge in Washington state put the executive order on hold nationwide. On Saturday, the uh, Department of Homeland Security said it was complying with the judge's order and halting implementation of the executive order. The order signed more than a week ago halts immigration from foreign nationals of seven Muslim-majority countries. And the court's filing, the Justice Department said Judge James Robart's decision to block the order second-guesses the president's national security judgment about the quantum of risk posed by the admission of certain classes of non-citizens and the best means of minimizing that risk. Trump tweeted about the case multiple times on Saturday, at one point referring to Robart as the so-called judge. That so-called judge. Which brought in the question, is he trying to undermine the judiciary? Well, interestingly, is that, or is the judiciary trying to undermine the presidency? Who knows? Everyone's undermining What somebody. was interesting, though, is they, one of the, I heard some uh, recordings from inside the court, with they, the judge yeah, talking yeah. to the lawyers, and one of it was, this was kind of based on some religious elements, right? Because uh, Trump. Trump well, they're saying it's a Muslim ban. They're saying not a Muslim ban, but Trump said he's going to prioritize Christians. So what's that? And then is it a ban and all this? And they, they pointed specifically to a quote from a Trump uh, uh, advisor. Uh-huh. And it is, it's funny. It's it's Rudy Giuliani from last week. If you've missed this oh, part, yeah, he's play clip up. nine if you have that. Do you have clip nine available? When he first announced it, he said Muslim ban. He called me up. He said, put a commission together. Show me the right way to do it legally. So, wow. So... It's this whole leaky White House thing. It's coming back Put to buy Trump. Put a commission together to show me how to do a Muslim ban. Show me how to legally. do it legally. So that's one of the things they pointed out. Oh, too. Boy. Several large tech companies, including Apple, Google, and Uber, have sided with Washington State in the court battle against President Trump. There's like 98 companies, I think, on mm. this list. I won't name them all because, you know, 
we have to do the rest of the show. <laughs> the companies are among many others who filed briefs sa- uh, sen- Sunday in the federal appellate court. The briefs note that such a ban would in- incentivize businesses to build operations outside the United States, and many companies are already exploring that option. Oh, boy. Maybe Canada, maybe India. Yeah, yeah. Just go somewhere where we're not going to have to deal with immigration laws that uh, that hamper what they want to do. During an early morning tweet storm, which is something I know you do often, uh-huh, every President morning. Trump appeared to claim that any opinion, this is this morning, any opinion to claim that any uh, opinion polls casting him and his administration in a bad light must have been fake. Oh, yeah. He wrote, any negative opinion polls are fake, just like CNN, ABC, NBC, and the election. Sorry, people want border security and extreme vetting. A CNN ORC poll out on Friday suggests that 53% of Americans oppose the ban. Trump is the least popular president when measured after two weeks in office since polling records began. So opinion polls now are fake news. It's all fake because it doesn't support him. Except he quotes opinion polls all the time. The reason he knows is because he won the election. Okay. So, and finally, Tom Brady. Yes. Someone might have stolen his game jersey. Really? He said he got, after the game, you get back to your locker, he's changing, he's done changing, turns around, his number 12 game jersey is gone. Interesting. So he calls in the security people in the area, team managers, like, what happened to my jersey? Where's it at? They're all looking for it because it's, you know, it's a oh, piece yeah. of history. Right out. there, total history. And it is gone. And uh, USA Today confirmed that he left the stadium without his jersey. So, oh, that's sad. So I wa- think it was his, eBay, see what happens. Yeah, I think it was his teammate, Ken Griffey Jr. It's not his teammate. Not even close. Not even the same sport. No. Oh, well. So he lost his jersey. Oh, that's too bad. He had a great show holy cow didn't he break like total offense record i don't know about that for super bowl i was just i was watching how bulimic it was to use the term yeah. um <laughs> on both sides about halfway through you're like there should be more yards here they were both yeah. had around 200 yards passing you're like this seems like something's they not some quite more. right but they again you just it's just storybook it was just a storybook ending except here's one little gripe uh-huh. i cannot stand the overtime rules in the pros well yeah why don't they use the college rules where the, each team gets offense and defense? They don't, then it's real competition. Because they don't like the way they start at like the 20. In college, when you, you go to overtime, everyone starts at the 25-yard line. Yeah. They don't like that. Play the game. Well, I know, but play the game one way, right? Yeah. So you have to let the other team come back. That would be exciting. The, the way to fix that would you, you'd have— Then you'd end on a defensive Like the way it should have—the way it would have been better is if the, the Patriots score— and then they have to stop the Atlanta Falcons yeah. from scoring. It gives yeah. the Atlanta that Falcons a chance cool. to score. Right. That's what you want. Yeah. Because that's then it's just you never know. But the owners of the NFL teams look at it during the season. The more time your players that you pay millions of dollars yeah. are on the field, the more opportunities they, need a they can get Super Bowl hurt. rule. Super Bowl overtime. You think at that point you toss them Let's out. Let's just go. And we play and it's just a shootout. Yeah. But Except it didn't look like it would be a shootout because the Falcons apparently lost their – Offense at halftime. <laughs> just forgot how to just do like what the they jersey. did in the first So half. a jersey was missing from Tom Brady and the offense from the Falcons in the second half. Yeah. It, it's always – you see teams do this in basketball, baseball, yeah. whichever, and you just watch the, the, the other team basically has to stop whatever they've been doing, yep. and the other team has to turn it around completely and all of a sudden find out what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And then you, you, it's just it's odd to watch because the Patriots couldn't catch a football in no. the first half. no. What and happened? Well, they, and they just, were getting to the quarterback. For some reason, they couldn't do as much in the second half. Yeah. They couldn't crush him because that's what I was yelling. Crush him! Really? Yeah, I did so not violent. want them to win again. I'm tired of the Patriots and Ken Griffey Jr. 
Wow, that's great. And Tim Tebow. That's the craziest. It's the most perfect team you've ever seen. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, SNL. So Saturday Night Live, making fun, uh, making fun of Sean Spicer. Of all the people to cast as his uh, alter ego, right. Melissa McCarthy, are you serious? And when I heard that, I'm like, what? Hmm. Well, they wanted somebody short. Uh-huh. Somebody that was Her hair could not have spicy. been more perfect. <laughs> And she has quite a bit of hair. I mean, they hit yeah. quite a bit of hair. They that. hit it and just pushed it all back. And then um, just her attitude. Anyway, let's uh, let's go to a, a clip here. And again, it's hard to do a clip because a lot of her acting out Sean Spicer was physical, like yeah. moving the podium. It was pretty hilarious. We'll do uh, a couple questions. Go. Glenn Thrush, New York Times. Boo. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to ask about the travel ban on Muslims. Yeah, it's not a ban. I'm sorry? It's not a ban. The travel ban is not a ban, which makes it not a ban. But you just called it a ban. Because I'm using your words. You said ban. You said ban. Now I'm saying it The back president to you. tweeted, and I quote, yeah. if the ban were announced with a one week notice. Yeah, exactly. You just said that. He's quoting you. It's your words. He's using your words. When you use the words and he uses them back, it's circular using of the word, and that's from you. That's a great point. That that was pretty close to what actually was said in the press conference. Because we sat here like, wait a second. No, you can't. There's a point where someone owns the word. Somebody's got to own it. Unbelievable. I love the clip where she refers to herself as spicy. Yeah. Says Spicy needs to go take his big boy nap. <laughs> and the gum? I didn't know he was that big into gum. He swallows gum, like about something like 20 pieces a day. It's like cinnamon. It's a horrible flavor. Who doesn't? But he just, it's this bad habit he has where he's just swallowing gum. Does he like not crazy. know that gum stays in your gut for seven it years? doesn't, but yeah. No, he does. Dog years. No. Yeah, I think that's one of our sponsors. I think we've got a gum sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Gum rot, we call it. Wasn't that the name of it? Yeah, we, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. But uh, then, uh, like, so she dumps all that gum in her mouth, chews it up, and then pulls out the huge, huge wad, wad, sticks it on the podium, goes, "I'll get back to you later," you know. And <laughs> and and Spicer later said that she chewed too much gum. It's too much. That was that was his big pushback. Yeah, so that you, part was a little bit of an exaggeration. Everything else was right. They right had, on. They had the CNN reporter in a little jail off in the corner <laughs> in a diaper in a diaper because it's a baby. <laughs> He's kind of in timeout. Yeah. Holy cow, crazy. So um, Joe Cannon will be next, but, you know, Donald, he – I thought we'd hear a lot more from him over the weekend. Yeah. Well, he went to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. They were having a Super Bowl party. Him, Ryan Did you Kiba, see that party? The kids. Yeah. It I looked like picture. a fundraiser. Like, Everyone's in suits. Like, this seems like a, a fun party. Yeah, it didn't oh. look so fun. I think our party was better. Um, what do you think about, uh, in the end, is the judge, because this is going to go head to head now. The judge has said that, but now yeah. the the ju- judiciary, what's it called? The Justice Department's going to push back and say, no. They're going to file an appeal today. And I mean, they, they filed an appeal yesterday and that was denied. Now I think they're going to appeal the appeal. I don't know what, how, what the next legal step is, but they're going to pursue it. Oh, boy. They believe that the president has the right to... Um, protect the country. And Donald's saying, great. So if anything happens to the country, you know who to blame. It's the judge. It's on this judge in Seattle. That would kind of be nerve-wracking. Yeah. 
Except for nothing's happened. But this goes to the same thing countries. that if the judge rules against your interest, it's an activist judge. Yeah, right. Even though this guy's a George W. Bush appointee. I know, but George from W. All, from all reports, just wholly Republican, you know, all the conservative, that kind of thing. And, and yeah. Oh, well. What do you do? <laughs> Plus, George Herbert Walker Bush tossed the coin. That was cool. That was pretty cool. That was really cool. He, you know, he he just got out of the hospital. Right. Yeah, I think he being a cameraman with the yeah the, that, coin. the coin went flying. <laughs> They're chasing it down through everyone's feet. What a neat guy! Yeah, and Barbara, you know, right behind him in her little cart. It's cool, super cool. Uh, we'll did, take a break. Let's get out of here, should we? What were you going to say? Did he serve in the Navy? Yeah, he did. Okay, because we were we were thinking was it Air Force or Navy in World War II? Because the Navy guy was pushing. His, didn't him. his plane go down? Did, and I think uh, it did. Yeah. Uh, like a carrier had to pick him up. He's got an incredible history. Yeah, and then he still jumps out of airplanes. Yeah, why not? Well, not anymore. Probably not right now. But he did about 10 years ago. That was great when he flipped the coin and it landed on heads and the Seahawks got to receive. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. That was a whole different Super Bowl you were watching. Hey, you were just watching it on YouTube, right? You looked up Super Bowl 2015? No, No, I was was actually there at the game. Where was the game? It was in uh, Tallahassee. Yep, that's it. (laughs) I don't know where you were. We'll take a break, folks. Joe Cannon up next. He's going to walk us through uh, what's going on behind the scenes in Washington. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us this morning, Joe Cannon, as he does every morning to uh, to help us, you know, get a take on what's going on politically. Joe is our Washington insider. We call him Joe in the know. He is a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, also served in Reagan's uh, EPA um, agency, and uh, was named editor of the Deseret News on um, back in 2006. So he knows politics. He knows media. He has a ton of contacts back east. Uh, we, we call him Joe in the know. He just likes to be called Joe. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show again, my friend. I, I always love your intro there, Matt, but th- <laughs> thanks for having me. I know. You, you don't want to be known as the guy that really knows. I mean, you, you're, not like a, you're not like a spy. You're not a right. wash. You just go back yeah, to I Washington just, every week. I just read the newspapers. <laughs> and, and you know a ton of people. Hey, what do you think? Uh, well, let's first just get to the Super Bowl. Did it, uh, did it, did it turn out okay for you? Um, you know, I've never seen a Super Bowl. I did learn last night when I landed in Los Angeles that uh, the um, Patriots came back in rather dramatic fashion, and that's all I know. That's all you know. See how good you are? You just You were traveling. You've never watched one then, huh? No. Just the Sunday ban. Well, I don't want to sound <laughs> – you're making me sound too – I don't want to be pious here. No, but you're uh, – you're, lots, of, lots of people – I'm not judgmental. Lots of people do whatever they're going to do. I just don't quite see how that squares with yeah. some of the stuff I believe in anyway. In fact, I have a, I have a really good friend that, that is a creative um, advertiser. He, he designs – he does the commercials and he's never – he's had four or five commercials during the Super Bowl. He's never watched one of them. During oh, the Super Bowl, him. not cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, just so you I know, say, I'll probably I'll probably watch it tonight. I mean, I love yeah. football, and it sounded like a terrific oh, game. Oh, it was a crazy I mean, game. You got to see it. it. 
to be honest, I got to the airport last night, and it was, uh, you know, it's in the eight, nine minutes ago. So I just saw the, you know, I just I saw it was on TV there, and I saw, oh, it's eight, eight, eight or nine minutes to go, and they were way down, and I thought, yeah. wow, Brady's Brady's probably going to lose this. I really did think that would be a heck of a comeback if somehow he pulled this one out. <laughs> yeah, then got you on get the airplane. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Then you get yeah, you get to your hotel room and you're like, he lost. Hey, what do you did you did you happen to see Saturday Night Live's Melissa McCarthy version of Sean Spicer? So now, what are you probing? All of my deep secrets. I have never <laughs> seen Saturday Night Live. Haven't you really? I, I have Joseph. Seen, I have seen. I've seen some episodes on like YouTube, yeah. and, you know, that get replayed, but I've you... have never watched Saturday Night. Okay, Live. that is one you're going to want to go look up. Sean Spicer, played by Melissa McCarthy. It is if you think uh, if you think all of the imitations of Trump that you've seen on Saturday Night Live are any good, you will be blown away by Sean Spicer and Melissa McCarthy. Okay, it just because it's just uh, not, that not, not not watching Saturday Night Live is not. They're not religious reasons. No, okay. no, I, yeah, I get. <laughs> yeah, I get. Plus, it's up. It's on so late. I never watch it. I just well, watch it on. Yeah, I mean, why? Yeah, I, you can always see the fa- the famous skits later. Anyway. Yeah, right. We're we're getting old, Joe. Let's be real. We got to get to bed. You know, our meds kick in. We got to go to bed by nine. That's how I feel. Every and I got to get up early. So talk. Well, you, yeah. Well, talk about what uh, what I know. You're you're all over politically. Um, what do you think of the ban, the federal judge stepping in and uh, and putting a stay on the immigration order? Well, I'm, let me just say before we say that, I would just say the fact that we have probably have 29 subjects to talk about this morning yeah. illustrates one overwhelming, fascinating fact, and that is how much this guy's doing. And oh, he's driving people crazy. He's going so fast, like, no one can keep up. You just can't keep up. It's, I mean, honestly, it's truly astonishing. Is kind of someone who has observed this for a long time. But getting to the the uh, immigration order, uh, wow, there's so much to talk about that. First of all, I should argue or tell you, I, mean, I am though I'm a lawyer. I don't really understand all the law. I tried to start reading one of the briefs last night. Honestly, I just got too tired. But. That's probably not what you want to talk about. It's just the whole spectacle mm-hmm. of this. So it's completely to be understood that there are two sides to this issue. What do you do? I mean, I worked for a federal judge for a year, and I remember one day uh, I'll go to the whole story, but he said, yeah, that's why we have lawsuits. You have people have differing views. So mm. You have lawsuits. And so this is a lawsuit. Uh, they found a judge, and the judge ruled in favor of a halting. And you know, basically issued, this is all about a temporary restraining order. So it's it's not so much on the merits as everybody makes it look like. Uh, <clears throat> but you to to get a TRO, you've got to demonstrate at least there, there's a chance, a good likelihood that you'll succeed on the merits. So it's important that way. Immediately it's been, it's been appealed to the Ninth Circuit. I guess they're hearing arguments. I don't know if they're hearing arguments or briefs are due today mm. at three. And then this is going to go to the Supreme Court. It'll be really, really interesting. So, I mean, there have been so many interesting ramifications of this. I guess the one thing that is probably not interesting and just reconfirms that Donald J. Trump is Donald J. Trump. I mean, he started attacking <laughs> the judge, yeah, which is so honestly, it's so unseemly to do that. The so-called judge. Lawyer, yeah, the so-called judge. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I think it's, it's going to be, you know, very fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I read a whole bunch of stories on both sides of this. It looks like the Department of Justice has filed a pretty strong brief. But that's – anyway, this is going to the Ninth Circuit, and whatever happens there, it's going to be immediately appealed. And, and there is a lot of urgency to it because you've got people waiting and not waiting. You've got a, a presidential policy at stake. So I, I think this will get heard um, – pretty quickly yeah even even by the supreme court is is this a sign that he's moving too quickly that he's he's not necessarily you know vetting every one of these executive orders he's not no there yeah i meant to say this when we're talking about the plethora of things that he's doing there unfortunately and it's it is kind of an it's unfortunate no matter what side you're on there's a there's too much of a ready fire aim Mm feel here about this like this one you know again i don't know all the merits of it and, and all that but everyone who seems to be familiar with it on both sides is saying hey man this could have been worked out it could have been it could have been the 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 announcement of it you know just how it how it came out as well as the actual details of it i mean anybody would know this is going to get challenged so why not take it there to get some really smart lawyers instead of apparently you know, uh, people who drafted this, you know, weren't really skilled lawyers. Right. And in general, and in particular, not skilled in the sense of knowing, okay, this is going to get challenged. We better write this up in a way that's going to be the most successful in uh, succeeding against challenges. So it's a, lawyering is really, really important. But in this case, it was lawyering and you know, public the the public layout of this thing just like I say it was a little bit ready fire aim. Yeah. What what do you think? Because then last week we heard the whole story about Trump versus Australia, kinda of with the hostile phone call toward the Prime Minister of Australia, Trump versus Mexico with the hostile uh, call with Mexico, Trump I mean Trump versus Iran makes a little more sense. But is he is he just too aggressive? Is he too hostile? Is he is this what is this? Is this bravado? Is this what he really feels? What's going on here? Well, I mean, <laughs> first of all, no matter what you say about me, I'm not in the mind of Donald J. Trump. <laughs> yeah, but you know who really is. Know what's really, <laughs> right? But what it what it appears to be just from the outside is this is this is Donald J. Trump. This is who he is, and and he can be pugnacious. Uh, I would just say in each of those three cases, Iran. Uh, Mexico and Australia have different little wrinkles. Like right. You say, even Iran is, you know, pretty understandable. I mean, there nobody could be confused. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw one political cartoon that said a uh, news announcer announcing breaking news: President does what he says he was going to do. You know? <laughs> uh, the the fact is, he's been pretty consistent. I mean, there's some underlying inconsistencies we might want to talk about with respect to Israel. Yeah. But uh, but in in the case of Iran, that's a no-brainer. He he's campaigned against the deal, campaigned against Iran. So you know, Mexico also is, I think, pretty explainable. I mean, you know, you you uh, you campaign on on a, you make a statement that Mexico is going to pay for the wall. I don't know how well thought out that was. Don't know, but it doesn't matter because it's clearly now become a, a pillar of uh, his policy with respect to Mexico. So any challenging of that. Is, is going to be met with 
some opposition on the other side. And so, right. You know, uh, well, they even came back. Nieto's said, I'm not, okay, I'm just not coming to the United States. Yeah. I don't but, know really what happened in that call. We have a lot more detail about what happened in the Australia call. But they backed down. So, and Mexico came back and said they actually also had a fairly productive call as well, talking right. about and, and, drug issues, immigration. So it, it wasn't as negative as maybe the press had, you know, the, the evil press with all their fake news had um, had put out there. Yeah, and what it sounded like in both calls, let's take Australia and Mexico together, in both calls, there was a lot of productivity, but each call had a particular flashpoint in it, and I think that's what everybody focused on was yeah. the flashpoint. So in Mexico, it was the wall and payment, but again, like you said, there were uh, both of the other guys said that there were productive aspects of the call. The Australia call, I mean, you know, Australia is like our tightest, they're the right. most American country out there. Uh, and so we're really close with them, but you know the the fact is that the quote deal between Obama and Australia really rankled Trump, and I guess he just let let the uh, uh, prime minister know, you know, I'm I'm not on board with this. I'm going to honor it. Apparently, he said he's going to honor it. And apparently, even the the immigration order itself, which was written, of course, before the call, I guess noted that it was subject to existing arrangements, and that was apparently put in specifically because of the Australia deal. Mm. Um, but it clearly hit a flashpoint with uh, with the president that, you know, he's just like, I'm, you know, he is, he is who he is. Right, and, right. Uh, well, and I mean, I guess, again, 40% of the people love what he's doing, and he is just, he is just doing what he said he was going to do, is... What do you think, you know, as a past editor about how he's handled the, handling the press? I mean, he's still taking them on pretty aggressively. I don't know if you saw uh, Spicer's um, press coverage Friday, because now what they're doing are these uh, Skype calls. Right. Have you seen those? Right. I mean, and it's I mean, this, this, the interesting thing about that is it could just be, you know, talk radio guys that he's having call in. I mean, it's it's. It's a little well, here's strange. What, here's what's clear. The, the, I, I believe on this issue, Trump, President Trump and uh, Steve Bannon are at one. And that is they view the major, I'll call it the major, let's get away from mainstream and all that other stuff. But the major press, um, they view them as the part of the opposition party. Right. Uh, and in, in a certain respect, that's true. Not so much in a willful way, but... There is a certain kind of thinking that most people who go into public policy and go into high-level journalism have. So they know – I mean, look, I, what do I pay for online? I pay for the Wall Street Journal. I pay, pay for the Washington Post. I pay for the New York Times and lots and lots of people in that category. And, and uh, the, the president has decided they're the opposition party, so he's going to go around them. Because he defeated them in his mind, he defeated them for president. So he's going to stay true to his roots, and his roots don't wake up in the morning absolutely needing to know what the New York Times has to say that day. Right, right. So I guess too. I mean, what? How? How much power can you have when you don't even call on them? I mean, to ask their questions. Well, no, no, I think that's part of this. Their, not part. That is their strategy. It's to. Just say, okay, look, there's no difference between you, big media, and um, 
you know, smaller papers throughout the United States and radio stations. <laughs> and so, he, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a condescending, you know, it's in a way just a direct shot at their power and authority. I might say, though, all, all three of those papers do a pretty good job. For sure, they're, they're, uh, the Times in particular is unremittingly hostile. But a lot of their stories are, I think, actually pretty fair about right. what's going on. Yeah, they're doing. Yeah, I think they're doing the best. There's some pretty good journalism going on here. There's some also. There, there is to, again, to be fair. Uh, there's a, an, a tinge, an edge in all of this, in, in many, many, many of the stories, and and most of the editorial comment, not not counting the Wall Street Journal, who is also not, by the way, you know, totally in the Trump camp. Right. But there's also, you know, kind of the explicit or implicit in almost every story is, can you believe this? It's still happening. It's so true. Joe, it's so true. Let's take a break. Uh, Come back. Continue the discussion. When we come back, uh, I want to get into a little bit more of um, the the, the schism between Priebus and Bannon. What's going on there? It sounds like there's some infighting there in the White House as well. Um, Should the dams keep obstructing? Is that serving their purpose and is Donald Trump wasting, you know, that little bit of a honeymoon phase, if there was such a thing? Is he wasting some of his goodwill by just fighting with everyone? Stick with us. More with Joe in the know, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization trying to uh, fight the cost and lower the cost of fuel here in the United States. Stick with us, folks. More when we get back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Joe Cannon. Joe is our what we call our Washington insider. He's really just Joe in the know. He knows a lot of people, has been in politics and uh, journalism for a long time. He's an attorney as well and also the founder and CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization trying to lower your costs here for fuel in the United States. And uh, that also helps him get to know a lot of politicians. Joe, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. What do you think about um, the job the Democrats are doing? I mean, they're under they don't have the clout they used to have. But so obstructionist is kind of the role they're playing. Um, Are they taking it too far? Are they I mean, fighting every appointment, you know, not being there for the votes? Is that the way to do this? Well, they're in a really tough spot, a really, really tough spot because they, uh, uh, you know, and you hear this in lawyer land a lot when you have the facts pound the facts when you have the law pound the law when you don't have either the facts or the law you pound the table (laughs) and uh, that's it and that's kind of what where the democrats are left right now because they don't they don't have any any uh, structural way to oppose this on the one hand on the other hand they have a base that considers that they lost because the democrats were not strong enough Right. So you have this this really this this huge feeling on the part of their base that wow this is a uh, you, you know you guys have to fight tooth and nail and I think it's forcing the Democrats to do some things that they wouldn't otherwise do. I mean Chuck Schumer is basically a, a deal maker like like lots of people who go to the Senate they they want to make deals but 
you know, he's facing pickets outside of his house. <laughs> Maybe sometimes in the, you know, I've heard as many as thousands. I, it's hard for me to quite right, so, right outside his home. So the people yeah. are pushing back. And so politically, they, he might be, you know, he could probably do some more maneuvering. But well, take take the boycott of the uh, of the um, nominees. Yeah, you know, I, I have a very good. I've talked to them a little bit before. Really good, sort of true insider on the Democratic side of things. Personal friend of Senator Schumer and others. And even he was telling me the other day, look, what what do you if you if you make Orrin Hatch angry, who really likes the rules of the Senate, is you know, forcing him to do personally repugnant things like, you know, suspending the rules to vote, you've made a very big mistake. And especially when you, you, there's no defense of that. If the Democrats don't show up, what do they expect? Right, exactly. They're saying, okay, we're just not going to be there. So the only rational response sooner or later is, great, don't show up. We're we're just going to vote these people out, which is what happened. So they achieve a few days delay. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of bad. And on, on the we haven't talked about the Supreme Court nominee, who is, um, you know, actually an astonishing pick. And my my view, a wonderful pick, just saying that personally. But but even on that, you know, do they filibuster or not? Yeah. Do you, and, and, and do you pull it out? Do you pull out the nuclear option on this first one? Which seems extreme, excessive, because there's probably a good chance there might be another one in a couple of years. Right, and the other one will matter. Yeah, the other one it will be tipped the scale, but, won't it? Yeah, but this one doesn't, you know, I mean, if you're a Democrat, you're kind of looking and saying this sort of rationally. You're going to say, well, maybe I'm going to save my bullets for down the road, because all kinds of things can happen and change uh, down the road. But this particular pick doesn't do much to alter the ideological balance on the court. But, again, they're getting that enormous pressure, and you've already had a number of senators say, we're going to filibuster, even though a lot of other you know, Democrats are going, well, wait a second, if we filibuster this, they pull the nuclear option, that's it. Yeah. Uh, now, to be fair, a lot of Republican senators don't want to pull the nuclear option. They, they'd rather figure out a way around it. Now, I'm guessing what is going to happen here is, is that you'll find – Eight Democrats who vote against cloture, meaning so the 60 vote thing is done and then they vote to send it to the floor for a regular vote Mm. where where he'll win. And I think that's where it'll come out. But there it's it's very hard just talking to some of my Democrat friends. It's very hard to overstate the animosity that their base has to any kind of any level of compromise. So. It's a really interesting. Uh, it's really interesting. But it it really is. The beginning of your question is: it's, the Democrats are in a very, very, very tough spot. Well, as to what, what they even can do, Joe. You know, we've only been at this two weeks. I mean, isn't this crazy? Like, this feels like we've been at it a year and a half. No, he is indefatigable. I mean, it's it's just amazing the range. <laughs> And depth with some of the things we haven't even talked about his assault on the regulatory state, the administrative right. state, which right. is, is deep and broad. I mean, I would say he's done probably the most in that regard, uh, just uh, fighting the regulatory beast in, in 
in lots of different ways, freezing regulations, doing regulations. The two for one, you got to get rid of two to get one. Yeah. 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 So what do you think? What what advice would you give him, though, Joe? It's almost not that anyone would not that he would take it and not that any of us really understand because we don't know what's going on inside. But what advice as, uh, you know, somebody that does understand the process, what would you be advising him? Or what do you think even Reince Priebus is advising him? Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it would be the same thing. Look, a lot of the things he's doing are pretty popular, and they're especially popular with his base. So I get that that's, that's where he's going, but why not win a few hearts and minds? I mean, there, there are lots of these things that have really good, rational bases why not let them develop a little bit and build up a little credibility? But I don't think that when people say that, they often mean credibility with the press. And I don't think he cares about that. Hmm. So having said that, I think the case of the immigration order, uh, I think everybody thinks that, you know. Uh, that was a bad start. It, it, it was not as radical Apparently, and I've read a lot about this now, it's not nearly as radical as it was made to appear. Mm-hmm. But but they weren't ready with answers for everything. And so, you know, you could, you could take a lot of shots at it and, and successful shots. One thing that he also seems to have done, and with now that his cabinet is filling out and some of them are, are, are speaking more publicly, Mattis has come out with a different stance um, uh, you know, I guess on Russia, Nikki Haley on Russia, he he made one position. Uh, he had one position very pro-Israel. But then um, again, they came out with another statement saying, you know, they need to limit their their building, um, I guess, in on the West Bank. Or So talk to us about Trump and Israel, Trump and Russia. Trump, it seems like the president says one thing and his people say another. Well, one thing is, uh, one issue is that in every administration for all time, you have jockeying for power among the people right around the president. That's just a, just an aspect of power. Uh, but when it comes to the other, the other thing that comes into it is presidents say a lot of things when they're running for office, and they believe a lot of things. Yeah. Not even saying that these are even wrong things or bad things, but they do believe things. You get in, and there's there's certain realities that you can't mistake. And one of those realities is Trump clearly has a different view of Russia than almost everybody else in the United States of America, <laughs> and and he's sticking to that. You know, I mean, even saying, even making some kind of moral equivalence between us, the United States, and Russia when it comes to murdering people. I mean, it's just like, uh, and, and lots oh. of people came out and pushed back. You, you, yeah. in, in his interview, he said, well, wait a second. We've got, you know, he didn't say it exactly this way. We've got blood on our own hands. Yeah, we're not as innocent and, as, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that just drove a lot of people crazy because Russia has been, is, not just in our own minds, but in reality, our adversary on the international uh, scene. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, I think Trump, as, by the way, most of his predecessors have felt like, well, maybe there's a way I can soften this up and deal with Putin in a way that would be constructive for the United States. I mean, you th- yeah, that's, I think, what the president is saying. Yeah. But everybody around him is saying, no, no, these guys, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys, and we, we're, our interests rarely coincide. Right. 
I right. think that's 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 on on the Russia. Israel is in, entirely different. I think that given eight years of unremitting hostility by the Obama administration to Netanyahu personally and maybe Israel in general, uh, Netanyahu thinks he's died and gone to heaven. Yeah, he's loving this. All the attention. So they, so they go ahead and build all these settlements. Well. Okay, the people who know that they're going to try to make some kind of a deal here know that that's not very good. So even on that subject, I don't think this this indicates any weakness uh, against Israel. But it does indicate uh, well, we're going to be a little bit more pragmatic when it comes to how we deal with Israel. Yeah. So we're going to make this statement. And, and, and I'm sorry, I know we're running out of yeah, time. I'm sorry. But no, but that's good. And even if, if, if it might be pragmatic or maybe just speaking more pragmatically. You never know what's really being said behind the scenes as well. Joe, we appreciate you. Have a good uh, time in L.A. as well. And uh, thanks for all you do. Joe Cannon's his name. Go check out what they're doing at Fuel Freedom Foundation, fuelfreedom.org, helping lower your costs of fuel here in the United States. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. A lot of uh, news is coming in about uh, some of the infighting that's going on inside of the Trump White House right now. Also leaks. Remember, Donald Trump, super loyal, does not like leaking. And apparently there's there's a leak. There's a leak in the inner circle because a lot of information is coming out. Um, (laughs) You better get the spies involved. But, uh, Terry, what are some of the things... um, because what they're saying now is he goes he goes back to his house, gets his robe on, watches yeah. a lot of TV. They specifically said that. Like 6.30 at night, he goes up to the residence, puts on a robe, watches TV, putters around his new a new house because he's never really been in the yeah. house before. He starts walking Looking around. around like, oh, is this the kitchen? Uh, Mr. On? President, you can't be in here. So the report I was reading, MSNBC and Fox are capitalizing on Donald Trump's TV watching habits. The cable networks have dramatically increased prices on issue advocacy rates in recent weeks as companies and outside groups try to influence Trump and his top lieutenants. Morning Joe rates have more than doubled in post-election, according to one veteran media buyer. The O'Reilly Factor and other primetime programs on Fox have, uh, Fox News have boosted their rates about 50%. Really? One DC consultant told some of his clients, including a big bank and major pharmaceutical companies, were negotiating this week to buy ads on O'Reilly and Morning Joe because they knew they had a good chance of reaching the president instead of a lobbying through his usual channels. Right, right. He's watching the, he talks about watching these shows all the time. (laughs) Apparently, he watches uh, Don Lemon on CNN in the evening and does like a running commentary yeah, about this is ridiculous. Not like the, Don. That was in the report over the weekend out of the, the New York Times. So that is just interesting. Instead of going through, we talked about it before. Yeah. Oh, I heard this morning they're talking about how even people on his staff are leaking because they get it on TV and it gets back to the president faster than going through the channels in the White House. Well, have you noticed Kellyanne Conway has been really quiet? Yeah, well. So, but she got a beat down Bowling about Green a week Massacre, ago, yeah. and then all of a sudden she's like, okay, I'm out. She she's just out. went all quiet. Over the weekend, this came out saying that despite Mr. Trump's anger that he was not fully briefed on details of the executive order he signed giving his chief strategist a seat on the National Security Council. Didn't know he was doing that, Didn't I know guess. he was putting Bannon on this council, and afterwards he was mad because of the details left and out. And taking off his uh, other general that he appreciates so much. Right. He took him off to put Bannon on, I guess. So it sounds like they're sliding documents. 
documents under his pen. He signs them. They just keep moving him through the process. And he oh, the tangled web. You have to well, read. interesting little insight for you. And if you, you know, if you're one of the media companies, you might be liking this new idea. Stick with us, folks. That's hour number one of the show. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the show. Dr. Matt here. Jeff Simpson on board, as well as, uh, of course, who better than Terry South to bring us the news? Seriously, who better? I mean, who better? I mean, really. Well, like Walter Cronkite would be better. But Walter would be great. He's otherwise detained at the moment. <laughs> he's indisposed. Was that uh, too soon? Or? No, that's fine. How about Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway? Oh, that would be fun. Alternative facts. But what facts would she bring? Alternative facts. she keep you guessing. This is uh, quite a day. Do we talk Super Bowl or do we talk Trumpdom? We've got a lot to go through. Hmm. A lot of information. That uh, matters. Still looking for the ratings? The football ratings or I the Trump see, ratings? I, well, both. I want to see if there was a spike at the beginning, a lull through the middle. Because usually the Super Bowl will go right to the um, halftime show. And that's yeah. where it peaks. Yeah. And then it's a downward slide to the end of the game. But, but it was a killer game. It ties up at the end. and You know, so you know I just had this thought. You mentioned during the break that you don't even think Donald Trump wants to be president. Oh, and yeah. I, I would just love to see him after he's president just open up a theme park. Could you see him as a as a Walt Disney? Well, yeah. Well, like more like a Dolly Parton. She had a theme park. She, hmm. she still does. Trumpville. Do, so, do, oh, that's Dollywood. Dollywood yeah, no. yeah. You're fired. He just fires everybody. Not what, what would he call it? Trumpland. Yeah. Trump Trumpville. Trumpville. <laughs> Trumped. Hmm? I don't know. You know what the sad thing about it is? He's got years before he can do that. Really? No, he's already making plans. Rules, maybe, rules don't apply. No, Just well, ask. maybe what he'll do is instead of having a library, a presidential library, he'll have a presidential theme park. Okay. A lot of presidents want libraries, but those are people that like to it, read books. Maybe he thinks like a Universal Studios type attraction would be more so? to his could you, fit his personality. Could you imagine an animatronic Trump in the Hall of Presidents at Disneyland? <laughs> totally. Actually, I can. Is the thing <laughs> I can actually imagine that standing next to Lincoln. <laughs> We'll get to all that fun. Um, plus, of course, we'll be talking about we got to help you get a better grasp on your life. If you're having a hard time getting through your New Year's resolutions, should you be hard on yourself mm. or should you be soft and just nice and, hey, you're fine, pal. Just try it again. Do you go hard or soft? Now, we know Terry would go hard. Yeah. When you break a goal, what do you do? Do you beat yourself up for a day? Yeah. yeah. For a while. I um, had a job where um, – my my mistakes were very public. Yeah. And there was documents that were I was supposed to use to prevent me from making those mistakes. And I would take those documents after the mistake and post them on the wall behind me. So whenever I turned around to leave the room, really, there was a stack of mistakes on the wall. Did well, you that, did you get a copy of the memo? I'll, I'll get you another copy of that memo. Yeah. Of the, yeah. 
The what shows that? Office space. Office space. So I did that, and my uh, supervisor would come in, and he was – he I mean, he'd come down on me because I made a mistake. It was yeah, public. Yeah, you made a mistake. You know? Everybody knew And I'm it. like, well, you know, and he's actually – I didn't know he was in the other room fending off the general manager from firing me. Because apparently really? was, they were big mistakes. Well, that was a huge mistake. Yeah, but he kind of looked at it like, you know, let's look at this rationally. Who else are we going to get to do this job? Because the job really wasn't that great. Yeah. But I did it well, and I've made like eight mistakes in a year. See, our, so, uh, our I've guest, already made eight mistakes today. There you go. I, I counted 12. Hmm. But who's counting? Well, yeah. turn to the facts. <laughs> so, yeah, I go pretty – I go, pretty, no, I go the other way. But I don't know if it's You're healthy. not supposed to. It's not. You're supposed to have self-compassion. You're supposed to give yourself a big fat hug. So, so constantly going, you're a moron is not Idiot. the way to do it. Yeah, okay. don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and don't just cry through it either. But it, it seems to motivate me because I, tr- I tend not to make those mistakes again. See, so you think it's working except it might be destroying your sense of self. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like Jeff can't do anything but cry now. But then like the other day my son goes – Dad, you can fix it. I go, I don't know if I get. No, Dad, you can fix anything. Oh, see. I'm like, look oh, at that. That's it. Just build that would right motivate anybody. Yeah. I think he just wants an extra donut. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's the way to do it, though. Come on, Dad. You can go get me a donut. You can fix it. Um, we'll get to that excitement. Uh, really, the healthy way to, to get through your New Year's resolutions, when you blow it, how to show a little, uh, how to be kind to yourself. Hmm. Or to get. Your son, Terry, to call us. Yeah. Because he's very – he's a great motivator. <laughs> he's brainwashed apparently. Aren't you supposed to be cruel to be kind in the right measure? Where would you get that? Wow. Was that – I think that was that was when we went and had Chinese food. You got that right off the old uh, <laughs> cookie. That was really good. Um, also, we'll do headlines today. Uh, later we'll be talking about – a, a crazy event where you run like a, an extreme thing, like a marathon, but in the middle of it, you also eat marathon amounts of food. Right, because that's healthy. Like, like, can you down a pizza while you're in the middle of a marathon? Like, who does that? I wouldn't want to associate something so wonderful as pizza with something so miserable as running. I know. Why would you ruin a good pizza with a marathon? Nuts! That's crazy talk. We uh, also, we've, we will have to tell you this story, well, about Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kool-Aid, it's, you know, could it be a weapon? Can you weaponize Kool-Aid? Mm. You put enough sugar in it, possibly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get, we'll get to I that. I knew a guy that said Kool-Aid should crunch. Really? Yeah, and it did. When he made it, it was gross. Man, there was this way is too true. much sugar. That's, that's akin to Forrest Gump's mom saying life is like a box of chocolates right there. Right, it is. Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid should, should crunch. crunch. <laughs> and then he'd chew it when he drank it. It was just so gross. Yuck. Okay. All that ahead. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Vice President Mike Pence on Sunday pledged the White House would use all legal means at our disposal to reinstate President Trump's immigration executive order, which pre- presently remains suspended thanks to two federal court rulings. Speaking on Fox News Sunday, Pence deflected host Chris Wallace's question about the effectiveness of targeting seven countries that have not produced a deadly attack on American soil since 9-11. They didn't even produce 9-11. Uh, that's me, by the way. Look 
looking, look, we don't uh, appoint judges to our district courts to conduct foreign policy to make decisions about our national security, Pence said, insisting that the Trump team will win this argument. In other news, the Kremlin is reportedly incensed following the weekend interview with President Trump previewing the Super Bowl when he sat down with Fox News' Bill O'Reilly, calling Russian President Vladimir Putin a killer during the segment. Trump responded to say that the uh, U.S. has a lot of killers, too. Do you respect Putin? I do respect him. Do you? Why? Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with him. He's a leader of his country. Uh, I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight, and Islamic terrorism all over the world, right? major fight, that's a good thing. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why well, you think our country's so innocent? Hmm. Unbelievable. Matt, n- name name some U.S. killers you'd like to toss in there, into that <laughs> argument. There. Hey, you heard of Ted Bundy? <laughs> I, I don't know. That is crazy. Yeah, I think he's meeting some politicians. Yeah. Well, there's that. that yeah, he rock, totally was. There's that rock band, the Killers. The Killers. Oh, the Killers, a great band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that apparently is ticked off the Kremlin. They are the spokesperson for Putin is demanding that O'Reilly uh, said his his, uh, his remarks about being a, uh, Putin being a killer yeah. are unacceptable and offensive and demands an apology. Doesn't but Bill O'Reilly has books like Killing Off Kennedy and Killing Off not the, Killing Off. What is it? What is it? It's Killing Killing uh, Lincoln. Right. Kill, yeah. Okay. There. Yeah. See. Well, killing Kennedy. That's different. That's why he said it. That's what they'll say. Okay. Just, The Trump administration is reportedly backing away from a proposal to reinstate the so-called CIA black sites that were used for torture during the Bush administration. The news comes after a draft of an executive order to that effect had been leaked to the media. More leaks out of the Trump administration. The Times, citing officials familiar with the matter, report that the revised version of the executive order no longer contains language about black sites. The order also calls for expanding the use of the U.S. prison at Guantanamo Bay. Oh, boy. Here we go. Which could be Mar-a-Lago South, right? He would love to get his hands on that property. We'll see. And finally, Olympic and Paralympic Games have traditionally always been about gold, silver, and bronze. But organizers of Tokyo 2020 uh, want their games to be remembered for being green. The Japanese public have been asked to donate unwanted mobile phones and other electronic items to help make 5,000 medals. Organizers hope to get eight tons of metal from uh, collection boxes, which will be placed in local offices and telecom stores around the country uh, in April. And they'll take all those and craft them into the medals to be used in the Olympic Games. Wow. So old cell phones will be gold medals. Can't you just see? Apparently, Samsung has yeah, plenty of uh, Samsung, models. They've available. got a lot of Samsung 7 notes. notes. Is that what they call them? Yeah. Uh, but can't you just see the really neat, you know, the ribbon around the neck and then some cell phone just hanging from it? Yeah. Like some, they could have done something. They say they're going to melt them down. Some but, flip phone hanging off their yeah, neck. Eventually, yeah. it's just going to be, hey, nice flip phone. Is that a throwaway? Hey, uh, what when you think about Donald Trump, hmm. and he's only two weeks in now. I mean, Is it only two? Don't you, I know. I mean, it, it feels, feels like so much more. Go on. Seriously, it feels like he's about at the mid-year election. But he's right on pace with Obama for executive orders at this point in oh, the yeah. elections. Or he's, in the administration. So. He's pumping them out. Yeah. What... Uh, what comes to mind with him? Like, if just what's 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 the first thought? You think Donald Trump? You think too, too fast? They're just it's. 
I, I don't know if he's actually running the show or if he's simply the figurehead and other people are doing the work because that's how he talked about how he ran his right. business, right? Right, he did. So who's in charge? That's yeah. kind of my question. No, I agree. That's exactly what I think. And and who's and is this can this last? Is what I keep thinking. At what point does it just you just gotta just stop it? There's, there's a pace they're working at trying to get as much done before anyone can stop them, it seems like. Yeah. That's why they're not consulting with anybody, any other outside agencies. They're trying to do it all in the White House and get it out there and Just, causing problems because they're not yeah. going through the right channels. Mama said we should go slow. That's what Mama said. Slow and steady wins the race. Right. Hey, um, have you heard about – do you like Kool-Aid, the crunchy kind? Or how about the non-crunchy? You know, the it non-crunchy? has its place, yeah. A woman, 73, uses cherry Kool-Aid as a weapon. Mm. She's weaponized cherry Kool-Aid. Uh, she, this woman apparently threw a bucket of cherry Kool-Aid on a man 13 years her senior, narrowly avoiding a trip to jail. So how old was she? She was 73. And 13 years? He was 86. Okay, go ahead. Uh, man identified as – the 86-year-old man was identified as the victim according to sheriff's deputies. And on January 12th, he and an 80-year-old friend were walking their dogs. Mm. The victim said the 73-year-old woman started yelling at him for smiling at her. Wow. Uh, he said the 73-year-old woman got a bucket and threw red water on him. But it wasn't just red water, right? It was Kool-Aid. The victim said he didn't want to press charges and wanted uh, her to stay away. Um, and uh, she told the deputy that the victim and his friend smiled at her, and she knows that they did it in a malicious manner. Wow. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said she threw Kool-Aid at him? Yeah. The red kind. The red kind. Non-crunchy. This? Non-crunchy red Kool-Aid. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I went to go see Fences over the weekend. Yeah, you said you went to a movie. And I saw I saw a trailer for this movie. Oh, they're already making it into a movie. Yeah. Are they really? Hold on a second. I think we've got it here somewhere. Whoops. Hold on. Here we oh. go. Edel Seidenbaum was an upstanding senior citizen. She crocheted blankets for orphan babies, read classic literature to prison inmates, and played bingo on Saturday nights. But then one day, Ethel Seidenbaum snapped. Uh, Chief, there's been an incident. You better get down here. It was supposed to be just a pleasant stroll through the park. What do you got, Johnson? Sir, the victim is 86 years old. Was just walking down the street minding his own business when all of a sudden the 73-year-old perp emerged from the bushes yielding a, a, a bucket of Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah! She hurled it at him. So much red. All right, ma'am, start talking. What on earth did this poor man do to deserve this heinous assault? He knows what he did. He was smiling at me. But it was no ordinary smile. No, I've seen that smile before. A long time ago, when I was a little girl. (laughs) That smile was malicious. Delicious malice. Revenge has never tasted this good. Welcome back, friends. You know, it's been over a month since uh, many of us 
started our uh, New Year's resolutions. In fact, um, when you think about it, it's not an easy task, is it? To stick to the task for an entire year or to actually change a habit. You've, in fact, you've probably made a mistake or two since you've started. But what do you do when you've blown it? How do you treat yourself? How do you handle your failure? Because uh, it may be a key to actually being able to keep your New Year's resolutions. Failure is of a universal part of humanity, and how we react to those failures may set us up. They may make us or break us in actually changing and creating change in our lives. According to our next guest, Dr. Kristen Neff, she says that hopefully if we could just find a way to treat ourselves a little more kindly, guess what? We might end up being able to stick to some of these goals a lot longer. Kristen Neff is an associate professor in the University of Texas at Austin's Department of Educational Psychology. Dr. Neff, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Matt. Talk about um, this connection between, you know, when we fail and our goals and we don't succeed why is it so important whether we're you know really compassionate with ourselves or whether we just beat ourselves up? It seems like putting a little pressure on ourselves might make it you know easier to get something done. Yes, well, most people assume that being harsh with themselves, being very negative, is going to make them you know keep in line and pay attention and and not mess up again. Uh, what we know from the research actually though, is that the emotional tone you have with yourself, um, impacts how much you're able to learn from your failure and whether or not you're able to kind of pick up and try again and keep trying. So, for instance, by self-compassion, that doesn't mean, you know, saying, oh, that's okay, you know, you ate those three boxes of donuts, <laughs> you messed up in you're your relationship, that's okay, <laughs> yeah. dear. You know, self-compassion can be fierce, but the best way to think of it is maybe how a really compassionate parent motivates their child, right? We know that parents who are supportive, you know, who the bottom line is, I love you unconditionally, but I care about you and I want you to succeed. And here's what we're going to do together to help you reach your goals. Mm. And actually, we know that taking that same stance with ourselves, in other words, the bottom line is we are acceptable, worthy people, but because we care about ourselves and we don't want to suffer and we, you know, we want to reach our goals, we're going to help and support ourselves to learn from failure and to try again, as opposed to being harshly critical. So, for instance, if you're lost in shame, which a lot of people do, they shame themselves as a way to try to get themselves in line. What we know about shame is, first of all, you can't say, see clearly. It narrows your focus. You can't see the bigger picture. And it actually, shame is not exactly the best get-up-and-go mind state, is it? No, no. <laughs> right? So, so we know from a lot of research now that being kind and supportive, again, that doesn't mean complacent or indulgent, but kind and supportive and sometimes firm with yourself um, actually creates the best um, emotional uh, uh, starting point for doing better next time. Hmm. And it's, I guess, so that kindness, that that supportiveness, uh, that caring, it really, is it is it about, is it about the tone? Is it about the chemistry that's created by being more caring that makes us able later to go back at it again? What is it yeah, so, specifically? So, really, um, so when we're kind and supportive, we're actually tapping into the mammalian caregiving system, right? Kind of what, um, all, what, what parents have when they have secure attachment with their child. This makes the child feel safe. And when we feel safe, and we can do that with ourselves too, when we feel safe, 
that's the optimal learning environment. When we're really harsh with ourselves, either using harsh words or sometimes just a very harsh tone, that actually triggers the threat defense system, the fight, flight, or freeze response. And although sometimes we need to go in this mode if there's an immediate danger, um, over the long term it's not very helpful because we don't have really good perspective and we're in, you know, defensive mode. Um, we're very agitated. We often develop fear of failure, for instance, if we're really anxious about failing because we know we'll beat ourselves up if we mess up. So um, physiologically, being uh, in that secure attachment mode is going to be better for learning and for trying again. Mm. And again, I, most of us, I guess, we don't necessarily look at this end of it, right? Well, we just think we just can push harder, push through this. But you're saying at the root, there's it, it's about learning. It's about it's about exactly about I mean, growing. Failure is our best teacher. We have to be in the right emotional mind state to enable us to learn from our failure. And so that mind state is one of feeling safe and unconditionally accepted. Again, people are afraid that, you know, caring about yourself isn't a good enough motivation to change. Um, But, of course, it is. Just like you want your friends to succeed, you want your children to succeed, you will try to succeed because you don't want to suffer and you care about yourself Um, just as much if, as if you try to succeed because, you know, you're afraid of the shame that's going to follow if you mess up. Because unfortunately, when you do that, you're actually pulling the rug out from underneath yourself, making it harder for you to learn and grow and succeed. Now, so it's really safe and unconditional acceptance of yourself. Can you take that too far? I mean, I can almost hear some people out there Mm -hmm. saying, oh, come on. There's a point where you just got to love yourself less and just go get her done. Um, yeah. t- but so can you overdo it? Right. So the only problem would be is if you slipped into self-indulgence, right? So self-compassion is very different from self-indulgence. Self-indulgence is when you aren't really seeing clearly. You're saying, oh, it didn't really matter. You know, it wasn't that big a deal when, in fact, it was a mm. big deal. If you stop seeing yourself and your behaviors clearly, that could be a problem because that's going to inhibit your ability to learn and grow. But, you know, again, can you, can you unconditionally love your child too much? Well, you can coddle your child. You yeah. cannot call them to task. But if the child knows that the bottom line is, I love you regardless, whether you fail, whether you succeed, but I'm going to try my hardest to help you succeed, that's going to be the best um, emotional learning space for the child. See, when we have this feeling of threat, like, you know, if I screw up, then somehow I'm going to be a worthless failure, that actually creates a lot of anxiety, that, a performance anxiety, actually, that undermines your ability to do your best. So, so it's both. You know, mm. caring about someone doesn't mean you just let them off the hook. There's a lot of research, for instance, that shows that self-compassionate people, they actually hold themselves to higher moral standards. They're more likely to apologize if they mess up. They're more likely to pick themselves up and try again if they fail, precisely because they, they care about themselves and they want to succeed. So if you're a self, if you're a compassionate parent, do yes. compassionate parents create self-compassionate people? Well, yeah, that's kind of interesting. We do know that um, people who are raised by very critical parents, it, they kids tend to internalize that and be harshly self-critical. And yes, if you have a secure attachment with your parents who are compassionate to you, you're more able to give that to yourself. 
Um, fortunately, self-compassion is something that can be learned. So even people maybe who grew up with parents who are you know, not only critical but even abusive, for instance, they can actually learn to reparent themselves, you might say, by learning to, you know, this new way of relating when they mess up or fail, which is with kindness and support. Hmm. Overall, so remember, oh, I like the term fierce compassion because that helps yeah. people understand. Sometimes self-compassion can be fierce. It can say, hey, you got to stop it. This yeah. is harming you. But the bottom line is still it's in the context of care as opposed to being in the context of hate and fear. And that's the real difference. And there's always this tone that unconditionally, I love you. You're accepted here. You're safe here. You're accepted here, you're safe here, and you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstrap sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but the tone of fear and shame, which a lot of people use with themselves, is actually completely counterproductive for being able to learn and grow and try again. How, um, I guess, what are the signs that you're using fear and shame? How do I know? Because it seems like, again, the only way to know your mind is your mind, but your mind yeah. might, you know, rationalize, it might, it might trick itself. Yes. So, 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 so it can be very easy, for instance, start noticing the language you use with yourself, especially when you've made a mistake, and ask yourself, would I say that to a friend I cared about or maybe my child if, if they did something similar? And if the answer is no, right, I wouldn't use that tone. I wouldn't say that. And actually, most of us say things to ourselves, and we say things that are much crueler than we'd, than we'd even say to people we don't like very much, mm-hmm. let alone someone we cared about. So you can, you can ask yourself, would I say this to someone I cared about and I wanted to support? And if the answer is no, then you may think about, well, how would I say this to someone I cared about? And then that lets you know not only what to say, but also the tone to use. Mm. Right. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, um, uh, we know actually animals, for instance, that, that, that the tone of voice is a key indicator of compassion. So compassion is kind of a, ah, and harshness is like a, yeah. you know, we actually share this with animals. And we have and the tone in our own, does the tone exist in our own head, I guess, as well? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So everything that happens externally actually can be replicated internally. So warm, supportive tone, but again, it can still be firm. It doesn't have to be soft and squishy. Yeah, that we always think of it as, yeah, just kind of soft, squishy. Sometimes it seems condescending, but that's, it that's but right. it doesn't have to be. It can you can and you can also it can be immediate, right? And it can be direct. You can go in fast. Exactly. You know when someone tells you something. When they can be very firm. You can tell if it's done with the, with a, an, uh, an intent of hate. Or support. We can tell. We can hear it. We can feel it. And the same thing with ourselves. And, and so that's why where people go a little wrong. They think that self-compassion is just being soft and squishy. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that can definitely lead to problems. So your goal with compassion is always the alleviation of suffering, helping, supporting, protecting. And if it's not serving those goals, it's actually not self-compassion. And you, I mean, the the funny thing about this, it's this almost sounds, Kristen, like something I would hear at church. And um, what, so I love it because to me, it jives with what I believe, you know, religiously, spiritually, but it also jives with the research. Yours is so academically based. What, yes. do what, what happens? What's the difference between people that do have this self compassion? 
Mm-hmm. How are they different in handling their day-to-day trials and issues and failures as opposed to those that don't have that self-compassion? Uh, well, we know, for instance, that self-compassion is one of the uh, most powerful strengths and coping resources we have. We did a study, for instance, with uh, veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And veterans' levels of self-compassion, you know, whether they treated themselves as an inner ally or an inner enemy, which is what self-criticism is, you're tearing yourself down like an enemy, that those veterans who were supportive and were allies to themselves, that they were less likely to develop to develop PTSD nine months later. Really? And more than that, their level of self-compassion was more predictive of whether or not they developed PTSD level of combat exposure itself. Wow. So what does that say? It means it's not just what happens to you, it's how do you treat yourself when the going gets really tough. Again, so if you're an inner ally, if you're your own wingman, yeah. you're going you're gonna to cope, you're going to survive. But if you're tearing yourself down, I mean, you wouldn't do that to your comrades, would you? You wouldn't insult them and shame them and tear them down if you wanted them to cope. Right, no. Of course not. And yet we do it to ourselves and it undermines our own ability to cope. So people who are more self-compassionate, they cope more, they have better, better mental health, they're more motivated, they have better physical health, their immune system functions better, for instance. So there's just a whole host of benefits. This is the – it almost gets into the resiliency work, right, about it is. making kids yeah. more resilient because if you can get them – to know they're accepted unconditionally and loved, but they can also be you know, rebuked still with, with that care, uh, yes. it helps them deal with life. That's right. So a so good parent draws clear boundaries, but the boundaries aren't because the kid's unacceptable if it crosses the boundaries. The boundaries, the child knows the boundaries are because you want to keep me safe. The same exact thing with ourselves. So really, yeah, no, I do think um, the message of self-compassion is completely consistent with a lot of religious traditions. Right. I mean, there's very yeah. few religious traditions that actually preach that shame and meanness mm-hmm. are good ways to go. But it's almost like that's – but that's – it seems like that's the tool we use, right, to induce the change in behavior is fear and shame instead of, yes. instead of love, which is contradictory to most tenets of faith. That's right. Exactly right. Is it just because we're under-tooled? talk about a loving God, a caring God. Yeah. A, is it, yeah. Do we just not know another way to do it? I think so. I mean, I think um, people were taught that way. I mean, think about it. It wasn't that long ago that we used to have this child-rearing philosophy, right? We used to say, spare the rod, spoil the child. Like, you know, literally harsh corporal punishment. We thought we needed that to help kids stay in line. And then we knew that actually what happens is kids, you know, they, they become fearful and they get insecure attachment and it's totally counterproductive. But somehow we haven't caught on with ourselves. We're behind the times. Uh, so, but hopefully we're starting. We're starting to change that. I think all there's like almost a thousand studies now on self-compassion showing its benefits. So I think the science is starting to convince people. Huh? Maybe I should give this a try. Well, and that's too. But ultimately, I think... you won't know until you try it yourself. Right. You know. So next time you fail, you can try. You can try it out. Try speaking to yourself like you normally do with harshness, shame, judgment, or you can say. What would I say to a good friend I really cared about? And see how it lands, and you can see for yourself the consequences. So good. <laughs> Such a good good uh, tool for us. We're speaking with Dr. Kristen Neff. Let's take a break and come back, continue this discussion about how to handle your failures in life 
how to change your voice, that inner voice that you hear. Instead of beating yourself up, can you make it kinder, softer, more compassionate? Up next, we'll learn the skills of self-compassion and uh, mindfulness. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us is Dr. Kristen Neff. She's an associate professor in the University of Texas at Austin Department of Educational Psychology. She's recognized as one of the world's leading experts on self-compassion and uh, the first one to operationally define and measure the construct over a decade ago. And it doesn't just mean you're just all soft and squishy and everything's nice and flowers and unicorns and butterflies. It means, though... That uh, a person, they can be loved and cared for and unconditionally they're going to be safe with you and changes need to be made. That It can all go together. Dr. Neff, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. It really is. Um, I think it's, it's, it's powerful if we are allowed to fail and then we, are, we can figure out how to navigate failure. We just – it doesn't seem like as a, as a country, as a people – we're very good at tolerating failure. That's right, yes. Even though kids master it, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, one of, one of the elements of self-compassion that's very important, it's actually in, in my definition of self-compassion, is that we remember that, we, we remember that failure and imperfection are part of the shared human experience. Now, of course, we know this logically, but it's funny, if you think about it, in that moment when you fail or make a mistake, it feels like this should not be happening. Yeah. Something has gone wrong. I'm abnormal because I failed or I made a mistake. And what happens when we go down that path is we feel isolated and cut off from everyone else. And that's a very scary feeling. But of course, you know, when we fail or make a mistake, this is normal. This is part of the human experience. This should be happening. In fact, failure and mistakes is how we learn. So an important aspect of self-compassion is just remembering that. Oh, yeah, this is part of what it means to be human. Can I open to this? And when we open to the failure and the mistake, that's what helps us to learn and grow from it as opposed to just kind of shutting ourselves down and saying, oh, I'm terrible, I'm horrible, and getting lost in kind of this self-focused self-criticism. Oh, it's so real. And uh, I, I mean, I know people that have just have never been able to expose their that human side, that they fail, that they never – that they've made mistakes, which is why sharing your shame and, yeah. you know, and sharing it with others – a lot of us would keep it a secret, right? And keeping it That's a secret right. actually makes it worse, right? It just, That's right because it makes us feel even more isolated, right? So, so sharing it though, it's, it's counterintuitive yeah. and yet – it actually it allows it to dissipate. It allows it out. It does. It does. But I have to say, before sharing it with others, I mean, which is a really important step, you can start just even within yourself and just remembering that this is normal. This mm-hmm. isn't abnormal. This, you know, to say it shouldn't be happening is just not true. This should be happening. And that will take a lot of the pressure off. 
and then that will make it easier to share it with others. Man. So uh, recognize it's a normal part of our human nature. What, what other things should we be doing to, to make it easier to handle our failures and to be more self-compassionate? So, so there's actually three components of self-compassion, two of which we've talked about. The first is kindness as opposed to harsh judgment. The second is feeling a common humanity as opposed to feeling shame and isolation. The third is actually mindfulness, which you've probably heard about. So mindfulness basically means the ability to turn toward face and be aware of whatever's happening, even if what's happening is difficult or painful. Okay. Mm-hmm. So normally, when we, let's say we fail or make a mistake, it's really painful, and we don't want to even think about it. So either we just, you know, turn away from it, we don't even acknowledge it, you know, hard to grow from a mistake if you don't even acknowledge it, or else we get lost in it. Instead of, you know, I failed, it becomes I am a failure. And again, when, we're, when we don't have any mental perspective or balance, it's very hard to learn from what's happening. So mindfulness basically just means kind of stepping outside of yourself, doing some perspective taking and saying, this is what's happening, right? Okay, I failed. Not the end of the world. It's painful, but, you know, I, I can deal with it. And that little bit of perspective, being able to say, I failed, as opposed to I am a failure, hmm. actually gives you a moment's pause needed to make a better decision. Yeah. So those, if, if all those three elements are there, mindfulness, common humanity, and kindness, then we're really in a position to, um, you know, choose choose wisely. And, and, and really, I guess, make it a, a choice. So this is, this is a process, once you've failed and you're in the midst of it, slow yeah. down and get present and be present in the process, and then just turn exactly. this process on. So, so instead of being lost in it, say, wow, I failed, and also acknowledge your pain. You know, this is really hard. This is really painful, right? We can't really open our hearts to ourselves with kindness unless we acknowledge, hey, I'm really struggling, I'm having a hard time. Just like when we see that homeless person on the street, if we just walk past them without even acknowledging that person's suffering, we can't show them compassion or kindness. We actually have to do the same thing with ourselves. We have to pause, say, wow, I'm really struggling, I'm having a hard time. Um, Well, having a hard time, failure, this is part of life, it's not just me, and therefore I can react with kindness and support as opposed to just harsh, punitive judgment. Mm. And I guess like all things, this is, this is just a skill set. This is, this is just development, human development. Yes, you, you can get in the habit. I actually have something called the self-compassion break, which is um, people can go to my website and hear a little three-minute MP3 of it, which is basically just that. This, it's just saying this is a moment of difficulty. That's the mindfulness. Uh, difficulty is part of life. That's the common humanity. And maybe kind to myself in this moment. So using kind, supportive language. And if you just remember those three steps, um, then you'll be in a much better position to cope with what comes your way. Does Because I guess as, as I master this personally, then mm-hmm. I, I would assume it enhances my ability to do it interpersonally. Yes, actually. So we know that people um, who are more self-compassionate, they make much better relationship partners, for instance. People (laughs) like their partners better when their partners are self-compassionate. Because, of course, when you have more resources to meet your own needs, to take care of yourself, you actually have more resources um, to give to others. Hmm. Um, Now, of course, the, the interesting thing is most people are much more kind and compassionate to others than they are to themselves. You know, there's a lot of people who are just loving, lovely, kind, caring people toward others and who beat themselves up mercilessly. 
And what happens is that, that you can't really sustain that level of giving if you aren't giving back to yourself. So people, for instance, nurses, doctors, or you know, parents who are more self-compassionate, not only um, are they more compassionate to others, they're much more able to sustain that without burning out. Hmm. So it helps, helps everyone, really. Because really, I, I would assume if you if you've got this this kind of non compassionate version of self going on, yeah. it's constantly stewing. You're constantly failing. You're constantly a liar. Um, yeah, and and it probably yeah it does wear you out faster. It wears you out, and then sometimes it can also lead to ego reactive anger. In other words, if it's not okay for me to fail. If I'm going to totally beat myself up, if I admit I fail, I'm going to try as hard as I can to blame you if I can get away with it. Yeah, sure. So people who are more self-compassionate, they're more willing to acknowledge their mistakes and more likely to repair harms done, um, et cetera. And like I say, they do have better relationships with others. What do you suggest to somebody that is listening and and now it's dawned on them that, holy cow, I'm a train wreck and I've I've got a lot of self-compassion issues and I do take it out on everyone around me. What advice do you give them? Because uh, a lot of the people around them now probably are, you know, sheepish and afraid and tentative. Yeah. How how do they come out? Yes. So um, uh, an easy place to start is I've my website, selfcompassion.org. I've really tried to make it a free resource for people to go and, and check it out. You can actually um, test your own self-compassion level, including the various components. You can take the test on my, on my website. Um, I have all the research on there, but I also have like little guided practices and written practices you can do. So that, that's probably the best place to start. Yeah, and that's, self, you are that's and self-compassion.com. Self- self-compassion.org. Yeah. Org, org, yeah, right. If you just Google self-compassion, it comes up. Um, that, that's probably the best you know, free place to start, and yeah. then you can, then you could buy my book if you wanted to, but you yeah. don't have to. No, but sure, <laughs> absolutely. Why not? While we're Why at not? it, hey, as we wrap up, what would you say is the one thing? If I could just do one thing today to start to be more self compassionate and be able to get back to my, you know, my goals that I have been failing at, where, where, what would be the number one thing? The number one thing, the easiest thing to do is just ask yourself: Would I say this to a friend I cared about? And if you wouldn't. Reframe it, relanguage it. That's say great. it to yourself like you would say it to a friend you cared about. That's you know you know how to be a good friend. You know how to be supportive. Just try it out with yourself and see what happens. That's great, Dr. Kristen Neff. Thank you so much for your great work and uh, helping us be more self-compassionate. Again, the website self-compassionate.org. Self-compassionate.org. Great tool, I think, for all of us and healthy, right? Finally, we don't have to beat ourselves up, but you need the discipline to be able to see when you are and reverse that trend. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about marathoners that also eat mega loads of food just as part of the part of the tournament, part of the race. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us, McKenna Baus, who is one of our great um, social media producers and also just likes to throw us curveballs on the show. I do indeed. We like a good curveball. One of the curves you're throwing is people actually run a marathon 
or a mini marathon or a half marathon and then but in the middle they down a pizza? Yeah, there's a lot of races out there where people are not only trying to see how far they can run, how fast they can run, but how much they can eat at why, the same time. Why would they do that? Like running mama said you shouldn't swim or run with food in your belly. You know, well, I would definitely agree with that. Mama um, knows. These uh, one of the first ones that you know, one of the big ones around is the Krispy Kreme challenge that takes place in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. And it was started by surprise, surprise, local college students. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the idea was it was a dare where you would run from um, a spot on campus all the way to the local Krispy Kreme. You'd eat a dozen donuts and then run back to campus. <sighs> and this is just sort of. It's, indicative of a lot of these other races that are going along. That makes yeah. me sick. Sounds and like I, Krispy Kreme was behind this because they're not selling too many donuts these days. That's no, right. Now they actually, are. they don't have any part of it. It's a. Lo- it's turned in now to a um, charity, like kind of fundraiser. Oh, yeah, yeah thing you can raise money. A, yeah, where a local organization they buy all the donuts from Krispy Kreme, and then people who participate, like the f- money goes to children's what, hospitals. Like really, what do all of the other countries of the world think when the big charities in America are run, eat a dozen donuts, you'll probably lose half of them on the way back, and then you've finished your race. My guess is it's something along the lines of, well, it's in America, so that sounds about right. Those darn Americans, (laughs) they love their donuts. Yeah, so a few of the other interesting ones that are going on, there's the Bacon 5K Challenge. Oh, no, that I get. I could go for that. Uh, So in the 5K, at the half waypoint you eat half a pound of bacon <gasps> and then at the end you celebrate and finish with chocolate covered bacon <gasps> and then the audience like throws bacon bits at you like confetti oh, as you're running in. i like that that's super cool so, visual to this music yeah. yeah i like that we've got that one um there's one in france actually uh the marathon du medoc mm-hmm. i don't speak french if I butchered it that. Sounded yeah. great. Mm. Um, but they will down wine, cheese, oysters, steak, ham, and ice cream and the race. And a baguette. <laughs> Just do you know, to top they it all. They throw off. a baguette at you and you're <laughs> knocked out. Really? Yeah. Oysters? Yeah. I don't know that I'd want to run with oysters on board either. I don't think I would either. either. And I can't decide. Like, is it a good or a bad thing? Because it's a lot of food and that can't be healthy. But no. then again, it's getting people to run, so not really. Okay, who is wants it? to hear? <laughs> who wants to hear panting and moaning followed by? Yeah, and then panting again. No, not what I'm after. But but are they doing it to promote running, or are they just throwing that in to like make it even more? Because all these places do five Ks now, right? Yeah. So every charity has a five K, and then to make it interesting, let's just throw in some oysters. Yeah, I think a lot of these places are doing it more just because how can we make running more fun? And trying to get more people involved is my guess. But wouldn't it be more fun to just go run and then have a really big barbecue? That does sound pretty good. Doesn't that sound better? Yeah. Running running and fun don't belong in the same sentence. Okay, so what kind of food would they have to involve in one of these races to get you to think it was worth it? I think he'd rather drive Um, (laughs) and eat. It would have to be Muddy Buddies, and it would have to be a running simulation. So okay. I could actually be, like, laying down on the couch. But, like, virtual reality running. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Or what if you could just have someone run for you, and maybe they wore a GoPro on their head, 
So you were kind, you felt like you were part of it, but you just sat on your chair and your lazy boy and just ate. Can I just food. watch Chariots of Fire and have the Muddy Buddies? Totally. It's the yeah. same thing when you when you really sit down and think about it. It's the same exact thing. I mean, if you're getting your mind that engaged, it's right. gotta have some kind of effect on your body. McKenna, eventually. would you ever do a race like this? Like Honestly, because I would be sick. Pr- probably, yeah. Would you? Could you, you run? It's probably though because I still fall under that college student yeah, yeah, category yeah. of the people who created these. Mm-hmm. You know, give me a couple of years and my answer might change. But right now, yeah, I get why it. not? I totally get it. Didn't Michael Scott eat like a whole plate of linguine? Yeah, or, pasta fettuccine. I think. Yeah, Alfredo. Right before a race, he was carb loading. I used to always. And then when he I got sick. Ran cross country in middle school. I always had like a big thing of just plain pasta that just be downing beforehand. Really? Yeah, it works. That and bananas. Those were my go-to. Oh man, I don't know. I'm not a runner. I think if I were running for my life, then I think I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Have you ever had the goo that they squirt in their mouth? Just that, the goo that is all energy? Haven't. No desire to. <sighs> you had me at goo. I'd rather just have a slice of pizza. <laughs> you had me at goo. Yeah, well, Wasn't that a love the, story? The you had me at goo? Pizza, yeah, it's very romantic. Uh, there's one in New York where you will eat several slices of pizza. It's the uh, New York City Pizza Run. Two miles, three slices of pizza. So not too bad. You, wow. That, that, that's yours. Well, okay. I'll do that one <laughs> if I don't have to run. I mean, you got to do one or the other, it just seems like. Well, McKenna, thanks. People are still crazy, and you've just blown our minds. I try. Trying to be healthy and yet also getting in some carbs. Got a carb load. Wow. Good stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Helping you live longer, not going to happen if you run and eat pizza on the way. Now, I get a Twinkie after every run. That makes sense. McKenna, thanks. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends of the Matt Townsend Show. Are you still recovering from the Patriots' win last night? Their fifth title, a historic comeback. Never before has a team come back. I think the the, rec- the record was 10 points. Yes, 10 points. And they came back, what, 20-something? Five. Point. It was 25 points. 25 points. The Seahawks yeah. just couldn't, couldn't put it together. My wife packed up the kid <laughs> and went home. She's like, this game's over. It's over. She just left. She didn't even watch it. I she, texted her when I came home, like, they're going overtime. She left you hanging. She was, no, nah, it was fine. I had a car. Okay. She doesn't care. She was asleep halfway through the game. Somewhere we need to update Jeff that the Seahawks did not play in this Super Bowl. No, they didn't actually play well most of the year. So Yeah, Jeff, you, you're going to have to let it go. They came on later, did, did okay. But so just, just, next, just read CNN, you know, while we're doing the show. Fake news. That's fake news. Then Yeah, read another station. <laughs> Just do what you can to get caught up because people are going to say, did you like the win last night? And if you bring up the Seahawks, yeah. you're going to ruin it. Tom Brady did it again. Five. He's now got five. Well, how many? Seven times he's been to the Super Bowl. Five times champion. Right. That's five rings. And I believe the two times he lost, the Atlanta Falcons did that to him in the first half. 
Did they really? They, they... Which is you're able to get to him using only your defensive linemen. Yeah. The second you start bringing other people in, he takes advantage of the lack of picks personnel. Picks you apart. Yeah. Then he picks you apart. They somehow fix that? I don't. I, I, I have to find out what it they was, did. It was really strange because they couldn't also get their running going. Yeah. So it looks like almost in the second half they just realized everything's going to be a pass. Yeah, just started throwing the football. So then just – and they're really good at the fast pass, right? Once so the, the receivers caught the footballs, yeah. yes, yes. I think, yeah. It was something about the air in the football. You think so? Maybe they had See, too much air. Over in I, I think gate. Tom Brady at the end of his post-game comments when he was holding the championship yeah. trophy should have held it above his head and just yelled, deflate this, and walked away. The place Ooh. would have just gone crazy. Crazy. But he did not do that. No, he didn't. He didn't. I was sad. I needed more more conflict going on. There's just too many too much happiness with all the Super Bowl trophy confetti falling. Yeah. Eh. This is our Super Bowl music. It sounds like a carnival. This is the song they actually play in baseball. Jeff. I don't think so. I believe take it's me called out. Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Ball Game. Yeah, yeah. yeah Take Me Out to the Football Game, right? No, Never heard no. this. This is like the seventh inning stretch song, right? Let me root, root, root for the Seahawks. Nope, nope. Okay. If yeah. they don't win, it's a shame. Yeah. This is the part that'll give it away, though. For it's one, two, three punts, you're out. Nope, that'd be strikes. Oh. Yeah. Baseball. At the old football game. <sighs> yeah. You know... You don't have to love football to love the game last night. No. There's all sorts of But you do have things. to watch it. <laughs> like my, my sister-in-law and my wife sat there, and they were basically in a coma until the commercials started. And they're like, oh, let's see what's no, going but on. But the commercials, I felt, were a little a bit of a letdown. They were. They, they have been repeatedly years upon years. They, they never can... But you're you're one that might not love a good commercial. I don't really care at all. No. You prefer the game. I, I watched the movie trailers. Did you? But I don't watch them on the TV. Right. I'll look over and say, oh, movie trailer. Then I just wait about two seconds and it's on YouTube and you can actually enjoy it better there. Well, and, and now we're waiting for all of the polls to come in to tell us uh, and the ratings to see how everyone did. <gasps> These just in. You've got them? I do, but okay, I want so we'll to get to that. in a minute. Yeah. Okay, we'll get to all that fun. Plus, we're going to be talking about... First impressions having a lasting impact on your relationships. Hmm. So your first impression of somebody goes a very, 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 very long way. In fact, it may always impact your relationship. So my first impression on my wife, Yeah, we were in a, hold on, radio class in college. Ooh. Right? It was Romantic. like an intro to radio because they let you into the radio station. Sounds you play incredible. Around. She was taking it because her father guilted her into a communications course. Yeah. And she did radio. He questioned her choice that way. But ha-ha. Because he's a journalist. Print. Right. He wanted her to go into writing. Right. She didn't want to do that. So uh, I basically corrected the teacher. There was a graduate student who was trying to tell us that all radio is this way. Yeah. And I was pointing out that no, it's not. Just some radio. And then I would, have you listened to the radio before? I believe I asked that question multiple times. And Wow. You got mouthy. I did. And my wife liked that. Did she? The sarcastic nature of my comments in class. Mm. Now, let's, so how, we'll, we'll analyze that. Well, I'd love to have her on the phone because I bet now she <laughs> woes the day that she took the bait on your sarcasm because now she probably gets it a lot. Oh, yeah. And then when she gets mad, I look at her and I go, you knew what you're getting involved with. It yeah. wasn't a secret. She never really knew. And then that's why she left early last night. Mm-hmm. No, it's because we have a four-month-old and 
She was hungry. <laughs> Always blame the former. Blame my, the child. My dad guilted me into this too. You know, he said, "You're not going to be an accountant. You're going to be you're going to be on the radio and just have a totally secure, non-volatile career." Really? Yeah. He said that. Wow. Nailed it. He didn't read the industry at all. Did <laughs> but he? you married an accountant. Yeah. So we got both of those bases covered. That's right. But you know, you I'm kind of worried. Kind of worried about her. If you can't be one, yeah. marry one. That's right. It's always my rule. You know. I don't like them number things. Yeah. There's a lot of things to remember. Uh, We'll be talking about first impressions, that plus the headlines, plus our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We'll find out their take on the Super Bowl. And, of course, a hero story. All of that ahead, but first to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Vice President Mike Pence said Sunday that President Donald Trump has the right to criticize the other two branches of government. After the president hurled personal attacks at Judge James Robart, at one point referring to him as a so-called judge, after he issued a ruling on Friday that halted Trump's executive order that blamed foreign or that uh, banned foreign nationals from traveling to, from seven Muslim-majority countries. The judge's actions in this case, making decisions about American foreign policy and national security, is just very frustrating to the president, to our whole administration, to millions of Americans who want to see judges that will uphold the law and recognize the authority the President of the United States has under the Constitution to manage those who come into this country, Pence said on NBC's Meet mm, the Press. Yeah. So the question is, they're frustrated because the judge is saying what you've done is not legal. Right. Should the judge just, oh, the, the president said it, and then just stamp it and send it on through, or should they look at it and wonder, is this legal or not? Well, I, I thought Nixon said when the president says it, it's not illegal. Well, it, huh. isn't the judge just supposed to rule on the constitutionality, right? But and, then this, what, and this is more a ruling not on the the ban, but on the on the delay. What was it? On the... The order. It's on the order. This specific is, it's in Washington. Yeah. It's a, it's a judge in the Seattle area. The universe, the, the state of Washington came in and said that as the uh, defenders of the students at the state universities, this is hampering their ability and causing them undue right. harm or something. So we're defending these kids. And then the judge gave a temporary restraining order. And so isn't that what this battle's about? It's yeah. just the restraining order. Yeah. Not, the, we're not so, to the constitutionality no, of it yet. But they've kind of... Yeah, inflamed it to the about. point sure. that, and it's going to continue to go up. So that, that's really the question: is who has the right to tell the president no? Right. Well, the, the other... president doesn't says nobody does apparently. <laughs> well, he's in for a world of hurt. I guess is. we'll find out. We'll see. On Sunday, State of the Nation, CNN's Jake Tapper showed Bernie Sanders a clip of President Trump sitting next to top Wall Street executives on Friday and saying that he expects to be cutting a lot out of Dodd Frank because, frankly, I have so many people, friends of mine, that have nice businesses they can't borrow money. Dodd-Frank is what went in after the crash of the economy because of the subprime mortgage issues. Sanders, who favors stricter regulations on Wall Street, grimaced. It is hard not to laugh to see President Trump alongside these Wall Street guys. This guy is a fraud. This guy ran for president of the United States saying, I, Donald Trump, I'm going to take on Wall Street. These guys are getting away with murder. Then suddenly he appoints all these billionaires. His major financial advisor comes from Goldman Sachs, and now he's going to dismantle legislation that protects consumers. But I think he's going to sell out the middle class and the working class of this country. Tell us how you really feel. I love Uncle Bernie. He's fine. Uncle Bernie. So, yeah, he's pointing out a conflict. But right. I don't know. We'll see how this turns out and if there's a better Bernie, Maybe Bernie's the next Democratic leader. 
if he can make it that long. Even though he's not a Democrat, he right? gets mad, and you're just you're worried like he's going to keel over. Like breathe, man. Yeah, come, come on, on Bernie, keep breathing, breathe. Bernie. We need you. Speaking of breathing, the flu is marching across the U.S. with 40 states now reporting widespread activity. In addition, the CDC says 15 pediatric deaths have been reported across oh, the U.S. Seven of them in the past week. Hardest hit are New Jersey, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, New York, and South Carolina. We are hitting the peak right now, says Dr. David Tofum of the University of Rochester, and that means it's time for the medical community to make its annual appeal to flu vaccine holdouts. It's not too late. Did you get your flu shot? No, but I did get the flu. Yeah. I got the flu shot and the flu, so what are you going to (laughs) do? You got both of them. (laughs) Lucky. And I was shot. You got shot. Oh, sorry. And on to the uh, Super Bowl ratings. I was watching for these. They came out rather recently the game which saw the patriots make the largest uh, the biggest comeback in super bowl history brought in an overnight rating of 48.8 according to nielsen ratings wow that's only down slightly from last year which saw 49 overnight 48.8 yeah ratings last year was 49 and a year before they had a 49.7 wrong so little slip wrong so it's all around the same neighborhood of you're wrong Millions upon millions, it says. Still, it's Fox's best metered market rating ever, according to the network. To come up with the overnight ratings, Nielsen takes a percentage of households watching in 56 U.S. markets and comes up with an average. A 48 means 48% of households in those 56 markets were watching the game. Wow. Right? So that's what that means. Last, last year's Super Bowl ultimately went, in, went on to bring 111.9 million viewers, making it the third most watched broadcast in U.S. TV history. Second only to... Obama's inauguration, which was number two, and Donald Trump's inauguration, which was the most watched event in the history of the galaxy. Apparently. Yeah, that was a Actually, one. there were two more Super Bowls above oh, it, I okay. think. Oh, okay. The Patriots' last appearance in Super Bowl 2015, the biggest audience in history, 114 million people watched. Wow! That. You know, one of my greatest moments in life was when I was paid— to be one of those Nielsen yeah. research really? families. You got paid to do that. We yeah. did that. That's how they, they pay for it. Yeah. Man, I'd like – I've never been asked to do that. As a kid, it was a diary. You had to actually fill out the book mm-hmm. and really? say, I'm watching this show for a yeah. half hour, watching this one. You know, Now they have a box that plugs into your TV and just tracks what you do. And they just – I think, too, they watch everything you do in your house. Well, that, too. They just put a camera and they watch mm-hmm. you know, what nachos you're Nielsen eating. Nielsen ratings. It's the most confusing yet refreshing feeling you'll ever have in this world like, wait, I, I get – you're giving me money to – Watch TV. And you have the power to stick it to Hollywood. You actually feel motivated to watch more TV. Yeah. How well, somebody's it, watching me. I better watch more it's, TV. It's important now. Your vote matters. Whereas, I feel like I'm letting them down. <laughs> really? I, I've never had I, I want them to get their money's worth. <laughs> but but you can't. I, they, they've come back and asked me again, but because I worked in radio, Now I'm you're, you're biased. Damn right? it. Blasted. And I was like, but I work in radio. It's not TV. And I go, no, no, no. You're all the same. You're all you the people same. are all the same. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> thank you for thank you for uh, taking part in the survey. That's what Donald Trump says too. Yeah. Hey, did you hear about the Florida man in a SpongeBob outfit to break into a home? These, I mean, these it, keep getting more. If you're going to desecrate an outfit, don't desecrate SpongeBob. What did he do? A uh, Florida man wearing a SpongeBob outfit is accused of breaking into a home and standing. Over a sleeping woman on Monday. Ooh. Stephen Charles Kirkland, 32, was arrested and charged with burglary and loitering and prowling and trespassing. The victim, who had been sleeping on the couch in her home, called police after she woke to find Kirkland standing over her dressed in a SpongeBob outfit. That is 
so creepy. I mean, that is weird. I think at first you'd be creeped out, and then you wake up and you'd start laughing. SpongeBob? Is that you? Uh, before the police could arrive, Kirkland ran off. Nearly a half hour later, he was spotted outside of another home in the area. Police chased Kirkland, and he attempted to hide it inside a trash can, but it was eventually arrested. Before he could make it back home to his pineapple under the sea. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this on the show a lot, that if you want to commit a crime and you don't want to be recognized, you, you ought to wear some... You know, mask, maybe, an outfit, and uh, but not SpongeBob. We we have better choices. And I think I think the reason he, you know, was arrested is because his outfit was so atrocious. Yeah. If you're going to get an outfit to commit a crime, we can't recommend more than than you go to one of our great sponsors of the show, Crook Closet, which is one of our favorite vendors. Uh, Here's just a little taste of what you can get at Crook Crook Closet. Are you planning to rob a convenience store but are stumped about what to wear? As every crook knows, you only have one chance, approximately four and a half minutes, to make a first impression. So make it a good one and buy your next disguise at the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job. Come in now and choose from some of our more popular disguises, such as Chewbacca, Deadpool, and the timely Donald Trump mask. Not only will they keep your identity safe, but they also make great conversation starters. So while you're breaking the law, you'll have the perfect outfit to break the ice. The Crook Closet, the store where you can shop first and ask questions later. You always hear people say to be careful not to judge others, but judging others is actually an innate part of us. When we first meet someone, our brains automatically start making judgments about them based on anything we see or gather, any information that we might pick up, all of it done within the first seven seconds. But could the first seven seconds with someone actually determine the rest of your relationship with them? Vivian Zayas, an associate professor of psychology at Cornell University, joins us today to discuss um, her research on the impact of first impressions on relationships. Dr. Zayas, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. What is it about, I mean, first impressions, it's just natural, right? It's, we do it without thinking. It, it, it happens. But do these first impressions stick with us, and do they really last the relationship long term? Um, I mean, that's a really great question. We are social beings, and we want to make sense of another person. So when we meet someone, we fill in the blanks. We want to be able to predict what they're going to do. And especially we want to know if this is a person that we can trust, right? So we want to be able to know, is this a, someone who we can trust or someone that's going to be threatening to us? Um, and we, as you said, we use a number, we use all available information to make a quick assessment about whether we are going to trust this person and also what this person uh, might do in the future. And No, go ahead. And in some of our research, what we find is that uh, impressions that we form, even based on a simply viewing a photograph, that those impressions are pretty predictive of how you're going to feel about the person after you've had an extensive 20-minute interaction where you're trying to get to know the other person. So um, some of these impressions are pretty 
um, sticky and um, impervious to change. Now, the, the question of how long, you know, how much information do you need to change that initial impression is one that we're still hmm. getting information about. So really, but but I mean, you can see because the this this first impression part of our brain, I'm assuming, is all about you know survival, fight or flight, safety first, and it would you would think that it would probably create a pretty deep belief system or a belief set, and uh, it seems like that might be hard to pull out later. Um, I, you are right that we. If you think about our whole entire life, we have a lot of experience with people. We have a lot of experience with faces, and we become experts in processing faces and associating faces with certain types of behaviors. So we are very uh, skilled at making inferences based simply on a face. And once we, you know, our preferences based on we like this person, we might not know why we like them. It could be that, you know, they remind us of our dad or our mom or, or people that we know. That's really hard to undo. Right. And, and you're absolutely right that that is really hard to undo. Um, is it impossible to undo? Probably not. But the way that we operate is that when we like someone, there's something about them, we're drawn to them, then we tend to be warmer towards them. We smile more, we engage with them more, we, and, and then they pick up on that, and then they're warmer and they're more engaged. And mm. so we sort of create the self-fulfilling prophecy, and we don't tend to try to seek out information that disconfirms our, in, our initial impressions. But if that information became apparent to us, so if we learned something that was really horrific then we might very well um, change that impression. Yeah. Um, but we tend to not look for that type of information, and we don't tend to encounter that information that often. So, I mean, so it can hurt you, too, right? Because if you have a really good first impression that isn't warranted or based on real information, you might, you might be in that relationship a lot longer than you probably should have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in... One study that we did, we had um, participants make a judgment about whether they would like a person based solely on viewing a photograph of them. And they also made judgments about the person's characteristics, their personality. Is this an extroverted person or introverted person? Does this person look like they're a conscientious person or more impulsive, disorganized? Um, And what we found was that those impressions stayed with us. So after, later on, they had an opportunity to meet the person Hmm. and have a 20-minute interaction where they could ask the person about their life, about who they were, and sort of get to know the person more. But if the initial impressions were that the person was conscientious, they left that interaction, the 20-minute interaction, thinking that that person was conscientious. Another participant might have looked at the person based on the photograph and thought the person looks to be disorganized or impulsive, when that participant interacts with that same person, they walk away thinking, oh, yeah, that person was impulsive, (laughs) organized. And that is a problem when we're trying to find 
you know, someone who's compatible with us in a relationship. Yeah. Whether it's uh, a partnership, whether it's a friendship, maybe it's a colleague, you're trying to hire someone. A new hire, right. Um, so we may be led astray when by these initial impressions. So the initial impression may actually then set us on the path of trying to validate the first impression. Right. Th- that we're right. And then instead of looking for contrary evidence, boy, this could impact dating. This could impact... A lot of things. And in your research, I guess, you've done many studies. What overall, was that the biggest aha is just that we tend to try to revalidate the initial impression? Um, well, the, in social psychology, we've known that we tend to, as human beings, we tend to seek out information that, that reaffirms what we already know. Um, I think here... Uh, one of the takeaways is with regards to these are very subtle preferences um, based on a photograph. So we had people look at a photograph. Do you like this person? Do you not like this person? And and those they were re- relatively subtle judgments. I mean, people didn't really have they didn't yeah. dislike. They were more neutral or lukewarm. And that that continued, those impressions stayed with them even after meeting with them for 20 minutes, but that it colored how they judged their personality. I think that was very powerful mm. there to, to see that it wasn't that, oh, I, I still like that person, but they walked away with a completely different view of that person, one that actually didn't match who the person was. Hmm. Like made up? We, did, did they make up – I guess they just selected the things and then, you know, went with them? Well, it's um, – our thinking is that when you like someone, you make a number of inferences about other characteristics. You tend to think that they are socially skilled, that they um, have better relationships, that they do better at work. This is called the halo effect. Mm-hmm. And when we – in this – context in uh, our study, when participants had a chance to interact with another person for 20 minutes, you're getting some information about who they are, but you still don't know a lot. And we fill in the blanks. And we tend to fill in the blanks by thinking that the person has these personality characteristics that are actually um, very difficult to assess in a, even in a 20-minute interaction. The one personality characteristic that people tended to show that they were were revising their initial impressions was on extroversion. And our thinking is because that's a a personality trait that is readily apparent uh, in a social interaction. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to see, oh, that person seems like they're a little bit introverted versus extroverted in a 20-minute interaction. It's a bit harder, not obviously not impossible, but a bit harder to see if someone is uh, conscientious, right? Unless they're pulling out their planner right. or telling you about their schedule. We, we don't have that information. We're not seeking it out. And then we then fill in the blanks. And we, we tend to think that if we like someone, well, they're probably organized. Um, and, you know, they tend to follow through with what they say. So we, we then just fill in the blanks. Yeah. And we don't have the actual information. 
And the, yeah, and what's weird about the whole thing, um, we can come back and talk about this, is it also sounds like we have a sense of confidence about it. We make these quick decisions, these quick interpretations of first impressions, and there's a sense of confidence. Like, oh, yeah, he's this way. And yet we know very, very little about people. Wow. We'll take a break. We'll come back more with Dr. Vivian Zayas and her work on first impressions. Do they ever really die or do we just keep, you know, recreating them every time we have a chance? Do we just keep validating our earliest assumptions? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about do first impressions really ever die and how they impact our relationships going forward. Dr. Vivian Zayas joins us. She's an associate professor and director of undergraduate studies in the Department of Psychology at Cornell University. And it was her lab. Um, You can go to the website people.psych.cornell.edu to get to to the the study that she's uh, performed. Um, Dr. Zayas, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Matt. So what I'm learning is uh, we have a first impression. We're really – I guess this is part of our problem about impressions, first impressions or benefits. We're very efficient, it seems like. We very efficiently gather a bunch of information that's available to us and we make make an interpretation and and that's probably to save ourselves, to protect ourselves. But uh, overall, are our first impressions very accurate? That is a, you know, really great question. In this particular study, depends on the judgment, right? right? So in this one, your first impression of whether you like someone, whether you will like someone, whether you would want to be friends with that person, whether you would want to go out with that person, if you're looking at a photograph and you make that guess, that's actually a pretty good predictor of what you will say after you have a short, you know, 20-minute interaction with that person. And so that type of judgment, you know, you might not know the person. You might really not have a really good sense of what their personality is about, or but you like them. Mm-hmm. And after a 20-minute interaction, you will probably still like them. And so I think that type of judgment, you are accurate there. At um, Are you accurate? Are you, make, are you only gathering the data that makes sure you're accurate? Well, we're using, in, in those types of liking judgments, we rely a lot on facial appearance. Uh-huh. And, you know, again, we've had so much experience with different people in our lives we're familiar with some people. Some people f- feel like we know them. They know us. And that's, you know, based on facial appearance. Yeah, yeah. And when we see a face, one of the first um, judgments that w- we make is, you know, trustworthy or not. And there's a study by um, Cooper um, where they scanned people in an fMRI scanner to see what were the brain regions that, were activated while people are judging another person Hmm. um, based looking at solely their photograph. And people here were making judgments about whether they would date the person or not. And what they found was that one region that was activated is a region that's involved in self-referential thinking. And 
the I think the assumption that the authors made were, was that what people are doing is saying, you know, is this person like me? Are they similar to me? Huh. And often what we do when we judge whether we like someone, whether we would date someone, it's not so much that we're saying, oh, they're really attractive versus not. But you're saying, are they for me? Are they someone that I could be with? And it's real. You can imagine a situation where you say, "Oh, yeah, that person's really attractive, but I don't. They don't feel right for me." Mm-hmm. And 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 we do that often. But what's really predictive is, oh, they there's something about them that feels right for me, and um, and those judgments based on a photograph do predict how you'll end up feeling uh, after that 20 minute interaction. Hmm. What uh, what advice do you give now? Anything different about you know people that are dating and first impressions? Well, one thing that um, we are looking into is if we um, during the interaction give participants a set of questions so that they're really encouraged to get at a more deeper, more intimate level and get more um, diagnostic information about the person, whether that would help hmm. in, in the process of really getting to know who that person is and may help people sort of change their impressions if this is not the person that in the end will be right for them. Um, so we're looking to see whether these types of more guided questions might help you. Um, because currently what happens is you see someone's photograph, you like them, then later on, a few months down the road, you get to interact with the person. You might not know that you had judged them earlier, mm-hmm. but what happens is that if you like the person based on their facial appearance, you tend to, as we talked about earlier, um, seek information that confirms those initial impressions, and that involves the types of questions you ask. But maybe if... Um, you ask different questions um, about hobbies or about, um, you know, either religious or political beliefs and so on, you might get information that might change those initial impressions. Hmm. And, it, and those may be really important pieces of information to learn about a person. Right. And also, I'm assuming you'd, you, you would go into different parts of your brain by depending on the question. Like, you're not just in your fight or flight brain if you're trying to figure out more about them. Right. You're probably in the prefrontal cortex or learning or doing something else, I mean, that that would change what you can see. Right. You're, That's powerful. Right. What a cool – so then it's kind of then, – then we just need some scripts, right? Something to prompt us through a better interview, which is because you see all the people now on Tinder, left, right, left, right, left, right, making right. these decisions very quickly, um, but not necessarily – eventually, if you're going to make a relationship work, you're going to have to know a lot more than just the gut first impression. Right. And it's interesting to think about uh, if you just – I mean, the gut is, in, is important right. in romantic relationships. Um, but what ends up happening is you might invest a lot based on your – on sort of these gut reactions. But there's these other aspects that are also really important in making that relationship work. And by the time that you learn about these other aspects that might actually be deal breakers, you've already invested quite a bit in this relationship. And it might be harder to, at that point, start putting on the brakes. And then you might be in a relationship that might not be ideal. Yeah. Because you learned about these other aspects of the person 
after you've already invested quite a bit emotionally. Mm. Boy, powerful, though. I mean, great research, and we appreciate you uh, being willing to share it with us. Dr. Zayas, thank you again. Vivian Zayas is her name. If you if you want to follow her on Twitter, at doctor, at dr underscore vz, at dr underscore vz, um, you'll, you'll be able to follow more of her research. And really, I think it's just the beginning, right? The cutting edge of understanding impressions, first impressions. And remember that first impressions, we as humans will tend to validate them. We want to validate what we think we know. Uh, which means you don't always find out more in the second interview, the second series of questions. You might just find out that they're exactly what you thought they were. Open our minds. That's the goal of the show. Give you some other tools. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Still trying to get uh, Jeff Simpson caught up on the fact that it wasn't the World Series last night, but instead the Super Bowl. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, get their take on the big game. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. You know, um, will somebody inform Jeff Simpson that it's it wasn't the World Series last night? Is he a Cubs fan? He's He's actually not. Dodger fan. Dodger fan. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I was going to give you a break. I'm like, eh, if he's a Cubs fan, maybe he's like trying to subtly play like, yeah, yeah the Super Bowl is great, but it's still not as unbelievable the as Cubs. the Cubs <laughs> breaking the curse of the Billy Goat yeah, no. and racing a 108-year drought in the World Series. <laughs> he's been bringing up the Seahawks all day, too. It's There's something about Seahawks well, football. you got to be so rude. You guys, tell me about your take on the game. I personally was a little depressed. The greatest comeback in a meaningful game in sports history. That was unbelievable. You loved it. You Did loved it. 25 in the Super Bowl? Yeah. The, the, the context of what happened, if that just happened by itself in a regular season game, that would be amazing. Yeah. First overtime in the Super Bowl. Fifth win in the Super Bowl for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Amazing. And that's uh, huge. Record, right? Mm-hmm. For everyone outside of Atlanta, that was... Amazing. Amazing right? It was. Well, the comeback, incredible. Incredible. I Down still. 25? Oh. And honestly, at halftime, Tom Brady looked like, you know, a little a little kid playing Little League that had lost his, you know, his helmet. Well, he threw that pick six right before halftime. And when he did that, I thought, okay, it's, maybe it's just not the Patriots' night. Yeah, maybe it's not. Like, so oh, it was over until it wasn't. Yeah. You know they, what I mean? They, like they let, had to change their fate. They did not lead until they took the lead in the overtime. Okay, let's talk <laughs> overtime. Because what in the world? Here's the deal. I don't, rule stinks. I don't like that rule at all. It used to be worse. It used to be just straight up first score. Oh. So had, had the Patriots kicked a field goal, the Falcons would have received the ball with the chance to score a touchdown yeah. and win. Yeah. They couldn't tie with the I don't, Yeah, I don't It's like a weird rule, rule though. I don't like the rule, but the Falcons should have never right. been no, in that absolutely. situation. Yeah, they, but let's change the rules so it looks like a real bad. It's a shootout. You need a shootout. Well, here, here's the deal. You won't have college overtime set mm-hmm. up because of fantasy football. Because the, the touchdowns count. Oh. So 
they would jack up all the stats and all the fantasy. And the I see and what the problem is. In betting. Okay, so let's just check. Let me my, check that off my list. Yeah. Because I, I was really hoping we'd go for what that. An, yeah, what an entertaining uh, uh, look, Give me your take on Lady Gaga doing the leap off she, the top of the building. I thought you. Uh, I couldn't tell if that was taped or not. I don't know. That looked that pretty really, real. That, that thing, the, great halftime show. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I want to be entertained. Whether I really like that music or not. And she kept it, you know, she kept it, she didn't talk politics. We didn't get into anything like that. It was good. It was just about America. And, and, well, it was about her music, but yeah. Well, and some music. Yeah, there was a little music there. Uh, but then what about, what about all the drones? That was cool. The drones were cool. really cool. Let's, yes. let's have more of that. Uh, the, I, well, I've seen Terminator. I'm a little scared now. <laughs> in fact, I, I was like, how are they doing that? And then my wife chimed in. Are those drones? And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's those are total drones. drones. Oh, yeah, those are drones. Yeah, those are drones. The uh, TX 1000s. <laughs> this is one of the wow. best drones you can buy at Radio Shack. Hey, <laughs> Radio Shack. Wh- what do you think about Roger Goodell snub? That was incredible. People, uh, people booing him. The, <laughs> the commissioner. There's, there is so much context to that entire situation. L- like, he can take away the Patriots' money. He can take away their draft picks. He can take away Tom Brady for the first part of the season. Mm-hmm. But they still win the Super Bowl. Uh, Pretty crazy. You can take everything, but you can't take that. No, you can't. And the balls were inflated correctly. But don't you think? Okay, who's the guy that made the – was it Julian Amman? Edelman. Edelman. I think Edelman's gloves were overinflated. I don't. I don't want to start a controversy, but his fingers looked huge. Or Tom Brady's shoulder pads somehow. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was an incredible game, and you know, whatever. By, by the way, commercials did a commercial stand out. Yeah. In fact, we're going to talk about that uh, early in the show. We won't. Really? We won't spoil that. You're one. going to save that little piece yeah. of heaven. <laughs> yeah. I get you. I get you. Yeah. I. I was a little disappointed, honestly. I Mine thought... happened early on. Did it? My favorite commercial happened early. There, I remember I belly laughed at one of them, but I don't remember what which What did one. you belly laugh at? I don't remember. I can't re- – that's that, so it didn't obviously impact me. It I wasn't think, the Justin Timberlake one? No, that was exactly it. That was the moment of all moments. That that long, quiet turn to Justin Timberlake. Bye, yeah, bye, bye. bye that was bye, yeah. so awesome. That was funny. <laughs> that was pretty good. And he didn't say a word. He didn't say one word. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I love that. That was exactly the, the Stranger Things too. That was cool. Uh, yeah, I if you've seen love that show, yeah, if you've seen that show, you, if you haven't, you need to watch it. Yeah, you, you probably ought to get a life, right? I mean, if you haven't seen it by now, yeah, yeah. Comes out not Halloween. To be rude. We thought it would be during the summer, so I was like, Halloween. Yeah, I thought it was July, so I was actually mad at the end of it. But. <laughs> don't be. <laughs> no. Don't, no! don't hate. Don't hate. There's other. You'll, you can watch other shows. So, what's on your show then? I mean, that's what everyone should be watching. Is your show? What's today? Today's fun because rarely do we go outside of BYU sports on the show. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about the amazing year in sports. Cool. Show. Uh, I, I, but among that, it was in an, an eventful weekend for BYU. Yes. Sports. Yeah. It was a really interesting weekend for BYU sports overall. Uh, Vanoy, hello. Yeah. Yes, but there is a BY, an immediate BYU tie to that incredible Super Bowl, right? <laughs> and he was in on a pivotal moment right? from shifting play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So that's, that's your show. Dave Rose, 300th win. Mm. Men's volleyball takes down number two UCLA twice. Bam, bam. Boom, boom. It was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So 
It's going to be awesome. Blaine Fowler in studio, Luke Slabe, men's volleyball assistant coach in studio as well. That's cool. Guys, of course, once again, when I, by the way, when I saw Lady Gaga hanging from the rafters, I thought of you too. Why would you think of us? I don't know. Oh, that's kind of weird. I think it was just her braces and her, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I saw that just, just reminds me of something you two would do. Her boots were cool. Really? Yeah. Didn't even notice the boots. Yeah, yeah. My wife pointed those out too. I'm like, yeah, those are cool. Those are cool boots. Yeah. Then she jumped. She caught a ball and jumped into the something. And that has turned into a fantastic gif where Tom Brady throws a quick pass over the middle and then uh, cuts away <laughs> to Lady Gaga jumping off uh, she the catches stage it. and catching the ball. Oh, that's good. That's good. Not <laughs> See, that wasn't pre-recorded. That's funny. That was live. All right, guys. Sounds like a great show. Knock them dead. All right, sir. Remember who you are. Return Stay with sweet. honor. Stay sweet. Yeah, that's uh, Lady Gaga. I forgot she caught a football. You missed that, Jeff, because you were probably watching the Seahawks game from a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't think Lady Gaga was there. I think it was Barbara Streisand. Yeah, you've got to get a different cable box. I think your cable box isn't up to date. Just, <laughs> yeah, or you need a time machine. Yeah, you need something that's not working. But I mean, when Barbara came out and sang The Wind Beneath My Wings. No, that was actually Barbara Bush. Oh, that was Bed Midler. No, Barbara came out. She didn't sing at all. She was just escorting George Herbert Walker Bush for the coin toss. Oh, I see. Yeah. There was no Barbara singing last night. Just Lady Gaga. Well, at least Lady Gaga didn't, you know, complain about all the presidential mishaps that George H.W. Bush has been through and yeah. what he's doing to the country. Uh, yeah, it's we're with Trump now. Trump Trump's the new president. That's all right. There's a lot going on. I understand. And ever since you tried to fix your dryer or your washer, that shocking moment, I get it. You drop a few synapses here and there. Hey, what's my rule? If I, do you remember my rule? If you're going to get in a in – a, uh, if you're going to avoid the police and, and run away from the cops in a car, what's my rule about a high-speed chase? Do you remember? And gas? Um, always wear your seatbelt? No, that's one of them, for sure. If you're going to try to outrun the cops, be safe. Uh, always have plenty of ketchup packets in the cigarette tray. Just in case you need to fake a wound. Or also make sure you have gas. Always fill it up before you try to outrun the police. Two Illinois men are arrested after an early morning chase that started in Des Moines and ended nearly uh, near Pleasantville, Ohio. Oh, sorry, Pleasantville, Iowa. The Des Moines Police Department says the chase began around 1.30 a.m. when a police officer attempted to pull over a Ford F-150 truck for an equipment violation. Police say the chase finally ended when the suspect vehicle ran out of gas. It was a 40-mile chase. Wow. Always steal a car full of gas. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if not, you're just setting yourself up. I say get a self-driving car, too. Oh, that'd be great. Then you could just sit back and, you know, And then conspire. you could say, yeah, I wasn't driving. Yeah, who I was driving. driving. What? I just said go. Um, police say both men were involved in a Sunday night chase, and uh, they both had outstanding warrants, which is probably why they were. Well, that's kind of an optimistic view of it. Yeah. They had outstanding warrants. By the way, those, warring, those warrants were outstanding. Four-star warrants. A must-see. Also, as we wrap up, you know we always like to tell a hero story. Check out this story. Subway riders saw swastikas 
Then they dug into their bags. Listen to this. Last week in New York City, subway riders came face-to-face with a slew of swastikas. Writer Gregory Locke describes getting on the number one train and seeing the swastikas written in Sharpie on windows. The train was silent as everyone stared at each other, uncomfortable and unsure what to do. He writes on his Facebook post that includes photos of the incident, which, by the way, has now gone viral with more than 500,000 responses. The New York Times reports vile messages were also scrawled in the car. One writer uh, suggestion that hand sanitizer could undo the hate. I've never seen so many people simultaneously reach into their bags and pockets looking for tissues and Purell hand sanitizer. Within about two minutes, all the Nazi symbolism gone. How cool is that? And by the way, that is one clean subway car. The cleanest a subway car has ever been in New York City. But if you see a problem, the heroes, they just fix it. You can react to it. You can freak out about it. You can protest it. Or you can just get your hand sanitizer out, start cleaning it up. That's what leadership is, my friends, and that truly is what heroes do. That's why we give you this show and do the show so you can get more ideas of what's going on out there in the world and how you can take on the world a little differently. We'll be back tomorrow with more information, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until tomorrow, folks, make it a great one. We'll talk tomorrow.